Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. Good morning to you on a Wednesday, halfway through the week already, and actually the first time this week that we look out over Monument Circle, and it's relatively clear out. It's not completely, it doesn't look like a can of soup outside, which uh, I guess is good news. A little bit cooler this morning, 45 or 46. You're going to need a jacket when you head out, but uh, looking forward to hopefully another warmer day by January standards. My name is Jake Query, Kevin Bowen here as well, Mark Dykton. Flying the ship for us as always. It is Kevin and Query here on 93.5107.5. The fan. A lot to talk about this morning, including is it possible that one of the Colts' targets for the head coaching position is already getting interest elsewhere, which I think was to be expected. We will get to that in just a second. But, uh, Kevin, we have a little bit more information than yesterday regarding the health, the progress, and you know the recovery for uh, Demar Hamlin of the Buffalo Bills. The latest, his uncle talking yesterday, essentially that he is still on oxygen, but apparently they are not having to require. It is not. There's not as much oxygen that they're needing than prior. I I, I don't. I'm not a doctor, so I don't know. But he was taking in 100%, I guess, of the oxygen originally. Now they have lowered that down just a little bit, but still not breathing on his own. Um, but according to his uncle and, and some family reports, small steps, but steps nonetheless. Yeah, 100 down to 50 is what his uncle said from an oxygen percentage standpoint. Uh, no update from the bills or the medical center since yesterday, really just about lunchtime. Um, yesterday's when you had... Right around kind of 1 o'clock is when you had basically the Bills and and the Hamlin family just thanking everybody um, for all their thoughts. And then the NFL did announce that the game will not be resumed this week. And as of right now, the Week 18 schedule, which will begin on Saturday. You have two games on Saturday, Kansas City and the Raiders, and then Titans-Jags, as of now, will go on uh, at as according to plan, I guess. So we'll continue to monitor things um, throughout the morning if there are any updates on that front. I did want to mention, Jake, I, I, you know, when you see the scene from Monday night, I don't know how familiar NFL fans are with the medical personnel that's on each sideline or in a stadium within a game. Um, Basically, each team brings 10 medical staff members to the game, and they're right there on the sideline. We're talking athletic trainers, primary care physicians, a couple orthopedic surgeons. Um, You have a neuro doctor. You have a chiropractor for anything spinal-related. So each team is bringing, you know, if the Colts travel on the road, they just travel to play the Giants, they're bringing 10 medical members to that game. Um, Obviously, the home team would have 10 of their own, and then each stadium has an additional 10. Um, So you're talking there, you know, people that can handle the x-ray machine within the stadium, um, you know, eye doctor, 
a dentist if you if you need that from a um, from a teeth standpoint. You have another neurosurgeon, some EMTs on staff. So basically, if you add all that up, you got about thirty medical people at an NFL game. Ten with each team and ten with the stadium. So. Um, I don't know. I, I find that a, a little interesting. And obviously, when you saw the scene on Monday night and you're curious exactly who all those people are, where they come from, who are they affiliated with, 10 people from the Bills, 10 people from the Bengals, 10 people within Cincinnati Stadium, separate from the team, uh, that makes up the medical staff that obviously uh, had very, very prompt attention to DeMar Hamlin and then the ambulance and the trauma center from there. Do you remember, um, and obviously not even close to the same thing, but still you know a grotesque a grotesque injury and one that was fairly traumatizing for a lot of people do you remember when kevin Ware, the guard i believe that was his name the guard from louisville yeah over suffered the compound fracture in the ncaa tournament here and if you recall when that happened like instantly and i can't recall who they were playing but instantly a for some reason michigan's popping in my head yeah there was a trainer from from one of the other teams that was on the floor like instantly like yeah. saw it and you know what i mean i mean and, and covered i believe covered it up or did something yeah yeah but i mean you know it goes without saying that obviously in those situations i mean there's no team allegiance right i mean it's just boom i said this to you yesterday jake when a player gets hit on an opposing sideline it often involves a lot of hooting and hollering from that team of the hit um, and kind of a celebration almost. What you almost always see is one or two people kind of scurrying to that player even though they're on the other team and it's often the medical people just to make sure, hey, let's make sure this guy's okay and you know everyone's kind of celebrating the play and, and I think that's where you do see, you know, there's no, hey, we're the Bills, we're the Bengals, um, we're all in this... Uh, in this together. I believe it was reported yesterday from ESPN that uh, Colt safety Rodney Thomas II, a high school teammate of DeMar Hamlin, he was a year behind DeMar at uh, Central Catholic in Pittsburgh. He went down and visited uh, DeMar, or, you know, I, I don't know if he actually visited him, but tried to the family. Um, with the family down there. I think the report actually indicated he drove down Monday night. Um, but Rodney Thomas II, of course, a defensive back for the Colts, DeMar Hamlin, a defensive back. So those two have um, some relationship there. I also um, saw, and again, I don't know how sometimes these things get thrown out there and then you find out they were embellished, but uh, I also saw that T. Higgins has basically not left the hospital. Really? That he's been, of course, T. Higgins lives in Cincinnati. He's a member of the Bengals, but um, you know that he is very concerned as well as it was his, whether or not it was that hit, You know, we don't know. Maybe we'll never know, but... Uh, the, the hit that T. Higgins and Hamlin had, the collision just before um, the incident itself. So we'll let you know if there are any updates this morning on the condition of DeMar Hamlin. We'll talk a little bit also just about what can be done, perhaps preventatively for individuals or for youth sports, that kind of thing, in terms of if there are uh, risks that one, you know, that are illuminated because of this incident maybe it was isolated you know we, we don't know but we'll talk about that over the course of the morning i thought the big news yesterday kevin to be honest with you was there was a report over the i can't remember if it was over the weekend or if it was monday night saying that you know basically that jim harbaugh would be interested or would at least accept a phone call if an nfl team were to call him and 
you know, I think a lot of people just assumed that Indianapolis would be in that mix and that Jim Harbaugh would get a phone call from Jim Irsay, but yesterday the report that Carolina's already made that call, right? Yeah, I think that initial report was even more aggressive than than that. Um, I believe it was something to the effect of sources close to Jim Harbaugh believe it's a done deal right? if he gets an NFL offer. Now, my first thought was, boy, that screams agent-driven in that, hey, Michigan, open up the blank checks if you really want to retain Jim Harbaugh. Um, for a long period of time. My other thought was Harbaugh has flirted with this idea for years. He has said and made it very clear that getting that Super Bowl, as he was extremely close to getting, is the pinnacle uh, of the game for him. And as you said, uh, reports yesterday that the Panthers, their owner David Tepper, uh, interviewed or at least had some sort of discussion with Harbaugh. And that if they went that route, that would be you know back-to-back college head coaches for David Tepper after hiring and firing Matt Rule. Um, you know Denver right now you got three openings: Carolina, Denver, Indy. How you rank those? I I actually think the Colts are a little bit more of an attractive opening within those three organizations than maybe most. Um, I would say one of the bigger disadvantages, and Bob Kravitz brought it up with us yesterday. How much is Jim Irsay willing to pay? Don't you feel like if it was Harbaugh, he'd pay $10 million? You would think. Um, Denver, new ownership group, coming from the Walton family, so that's a little Walmart money there. Uh, that's no shortage of funds, Jake. And the John Elway connection in Denver, um, they, I think there are some reports there that they would have some definite, definite interest in that. I don't know if there's any sort of Harbaugh, Russell, Will. I mean, their time didn't overlap a ton in the NFC West. I don't know if there's any sort of connection on that front. For me with Harbaugh, Jake, I I guess I have a couple questions. Is he just going to take a gig to take a gig? I I think that for college coaches, Kevin... Because he's an attractive candidate. Like It's not like he's desperate. Right. Yeah, you would think that it would be in Harbaugh's best interest to wait and see how many people call, right? He's not the coordinator that might only get one interview this coaching cycle. But I do think that from a... I mean, sure, he's been the back-to-back Final Four or, you know, college football playoffs. Um, He's beaten Ohio State two years in a row. Seems to have it going at Michigan. But I do think that there is something to be said for professional coaches that go into college... And, you know, and and of course, in Harbaugh's case, it was he's done both already. But just the recruiting aspect, you know, he went college pro back to college. But I, I think that eventually, the recruiting aspect of it does kind of wear coaches out. Where once they've had a taste of coaching in the NFL, of like, man, I don't, you know, in the NFL, guys have. I've got them for five years if they're under contract. I don't have to constantly go out and and rebuild my roster and constantly be on the road and beg the seventeen year olds to come and you know I, I think that eventually wears guys out a little bit. Well, the college game's a lot different too than it was five years ago. Yeah. Um. So I think that is something to point out as well. I guess a couple of things on the hardball front. Again, what is enticing to him? What is enticing to him about this Colts opportunity? Is it the Jim Ursay connection? It's not like he was a 10-year Colt, Jake. I mean, uh, yes, he's in the Ring of Honor, and yes, he had a, what was it, three years? 
Yeah. Basically, he's not Jeff Saturday, if you want to go down even that But, you that, know, to, that to Jim Ursay, he kind of is, though, right? Like, but, but, but is he to Jim Harbaugh? It is, does Indy have no, no, the no. same sort of... Totally agree, yeah. I would think for Jim Harbaugh... I would think for Jim Harbaugh that he still thinks of himself... For, like, and this is such a moot point because people get confused by this. In baseball, when you go into the Hall of Fame, you pick the cap of a team that you played for, Right. In football, if you go into the Hall of Fame, it's equal service. There's your bust, and then underneath it on the plaque, it lists your teams of service equally. It does not prioritize one franchise over the other. But for the sake of this discussion, if if Jim Harbaugh had been a Hall of Fame player and he went into the Hall of Fame, what franchise does he pick as the one that he most associates himself with? I would think it's the Bears. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was an IndyCar owner. So maybe that links him back to the right. city of Indianapolis, but I would think the Bears. I just don't think it's a slam dunk. Like, oh my gosh, it's the Colts. Hell yeah. Like, I, totally, I agree I'm with in that. the ring of honor. Captain Comeback, all of that. Um, and then lastly, how much control does he want, Jake? Does he say, hey, if I'm coming here, Chris Bauer, it's gone. Okay, let me ask you this. If he says that, what does Jim Mercer say? Right. That's that's a big, big question. Um Part of me thinks Ursay would side with Harbaugh on that, but it's the same question I threw to Bob Kravitz yesterday and I also threw to you. If Chris Ballard comes to Jim Ursay at the end of the season and says, if I'm staying, he's going, a.k.a. Jeff Saturday. If Jeff Saturday comes to Jim Ursay at the end of the season and says, if I'm staying, he's going. Well, in Chris Ballard, I, I'm very curious who has the owner's voice right now. Here's the thing. Chris Ballard's got his wallet. That's 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 a really good point. But Jeff Saturday's got his heart. True. You know, there are... How about that? Boy, we just went deep there at 713. <laughs> there are... Money or love, baby. There's a lot of... Jeff Saturday is... I mean, there was so much criticism to Jim Ursay about Jeff Saturday's hire, albeit interim, and it has not gone well. And I like Jeff Saturday. You like Jeff Saturday. I mean, he's been on this. You know, he's a regular on the show. Trust me, I don't love ripping him, but how can you not? Did you see the stat yesterday going around Twitter about Jeff Saturday? No. I'll credit Zach Hicks for this. Uh, Does a great job kind of covering the Colts from from afar. Locked on Colts. He is part of Horseshoe Huddle as well. Uh, The point differential in the Jeff Saturday era is negative 79. So that's negative 79 in seven games. Jake, if you look at the 32 teams in the NFL right now, that would be the fifth worst point differential in the league. Jeff Saturday's been coaching for seven games. The other teams have been playing, I guess, 16 games. Right. The Colts have the worst point differential in the NFL. And I don't know if that maybe resonates to the entire listening audience and what that means. That is a stat that Chris Ballard holds in very high regard. Chris Ballard looks at that stat and believes that's a true indicator of how good of a football team you are. Point differential, add up, obviously, your wins, add up your losses, the margins, and at the end of the year, see where you're at. No team has a worse one in the NFL than the Colts. And if you look at Jeff Saturdays himself, fifth worst in the league. That's hard to do. It pains me to say it, but the reality is this. The reality is that when Jeff Saturday was brought in and there was a lot of question and almost ridicule from around the league about it, the selling point 
or the counter to that discussion was the fact that at the very least he was a great motivator and leader that guys were going to buy into and for the last five games i've watched a team that looks like it has zero leadership it looks like 50 yeah. guys going in 50 directions. They've gotten worse. And, and I get it was a very awkward, awful situation, but they're not even sniffing what Frank Reich's Colts no. were doing. No. Uh, did Miles Turner sleep well last night, you think? Huh. <laughs> Philadelphia tonight in the city of brotherly love, right? That's kind of been his... Maybe did JMV sleep well That's right. last night, predicting what his Twitter mentions could look like last night. I always feel this about the Embiid matchup with... With the Pacers. Again, that is tonight, 7 o'clock, as Jake said, in Philly. Joel Embiid is an incredible talent. Incredible talent. My issue with Embiid against the Pacers over the years has been this. The Pacers have, haven't even been able to hold him close to his average. Or even, you know, a little bit above average. Like, when he plays the Pacers, it is career nights for him. And that is my thing with Turner. Turner is a wonderful rim protector and kind of off-ball defender. But when you ask Turner to match up man-to-man with Joel Embiid, you might as well have Goga out there. Fair. I, Joel Embiid against the Pacers, Jake, in his career. Oh. 30 points per game, 12.6 rebounds. That is the most. Points or rebounds, that's the most he has had against any team in the Eastern Conference. He feasts against Miles Turner and the Pacers. Joel Embiid is, and and you are right. I mean, that is absolutely Miles. Miles Turner can't guard him. I mean, that's. But then again, no one can guard him, correct. Jake. But it's not even again his averages. Like he, it's his domination. It's, just yeah, he just yeah. dominates, yeah. And, and you would like personally. I would like to see better from Turner in this matchup. Yeah, it's. I'm telling you, Embiid is just such a unicorn. I mean, his size alone. I, I, I've watched him. He's I don't a know, freak. Half, it is unbelievable. I mean, he is literally the biggest human being I've ever seen. I, it, and then he's getting rebounds and and running the length of the floor. And I mean, it's just incredible. And I I, I get the fact that Wembanyama is seven four and is doing you know guard like stuff. And that's why everybody is salivating over getting him with the number one pick, but he doesn't have the just the overall strength and sheer mass of Embiid. I, it's incredible. But can still move extremely well. Yeah. Uh, Phillies won 10 of 12. When these two teams matched up earlier in the season, the guy that started at center for the Pacers, Jake, he's now in Fort Wayne. Isaiah Jackson to Fort Wayne for a couple of games, so he will not be even in Philly tonight. Uh, I think Fort Wayne's got a back-to-back, so Wednesday and Thursday. That is where Isaiah Jackson is. Um, yeah, he's regressed for sure, seemingly. I mean, I, I understand what the Pacers have done here. They, they've gone smaller. Jalen Smith has transitioned from the starting four next to Miles Turner to the backup five, and really O'Shea Brissett and... I guess Aaron Neesmith are kind of the power forwards yeah. if you want to label everybody in a position. Uh, it, it is disappointing to me, Jake, because you know I, I I've always been intrigued by Jackson. I know you certainly have been really really intrigued by him, um, but when you look at him or even Goga, it, it just it's come to a point in time where it's like, holy hell! If you can't re-sign Turner, what in the world are you going to do with your starting five? Well, at some point with those guys, you look at him and you say. 
it is incredible the athleticism they have at their height and their size. But it maybe not Goga as much, but certainly Isaiah Jackson, his ability to play above the rim. But at the same time, he still has to be a basketball player. He still has right. to understand mm-hmm. yeah, switches yeah, yeah. defensively in basketball. He still has to understand. This is not a decathlon. Correct. Mid-range game, things like that. I mean, and I think that's what they're waiting on yeah. and expecting, right? Uh, tell me you guys saw the Colts news yesterday in regards to Sunday at 1 o'clock. The fact that they moved or that they announced the start time on Sunday at 1 o'clock? 1 o'clock, CBS. Yeah. Oh, I know. I know where you're going. Do I need to say any more? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, told, <laughs> I, I said last week this go is going to be the Spiro Ditas. I mean, did, Mark did predict it. Does anything scream Spiro Ditas more than Colts and Texans at 1 o'clock to close out the season? The cherry, the cherry on top of the cow pie that is the 2022 Colts season. If Jim Irsay needs to be pushed over the ledge a little bit just to say, boy, what sums up the year, Spiro calling your game to end it, I think, does that for you. Spiro Ditas and Jay Feely, for those that are going to watch on Sunday, and will not be tuning in, um, or not, I should well, say. Well, I mean, nationwide, that's got to... Is it, 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 is it less, his ability or is it the fact that of what he represents? It, that. It, it's less really to do with him as an announcer. It's more to do with, dear Lord, this dude just is the AFC South broadcaster. Every week it's Colts and, Tec- or Colts and Texans. Can we Colts get him on the show so that you can mock Spira, him? Well, again, it, it, it's less to do with him as a human and more to do with just the melancholy nature of AFC South Where do you football. believe he went to co- Spiro Diaz? Where do you think he grew up and went to college? No, Syracuse. Think so? I mean, that's a 50-50 guess, right? <laughs> that's probably right. That or Missouri, right? When they do the national map of like what what area oh they're getting which gosh. game. Oh my gosh, can Colts, you imagine? Colts, Texans has got to be like in Houston and Indianapolis, right? No one else is yeah, getting Yeah, it's going to be like 465 and whatever the 465 is in Houston. That, that That's where the map will be. If anyone strong. else gets that game on Sunday, apologies. Great prediction there by you, Mark. I didn't realize that Spiro Ditas was the one that was involved in the Jeremy Lin controversy. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. I, I mean, not to like, re- I'm not going to recite it on air, but I didn't realize that. I, I'm not certain that did he did he go to college? Boy, things I thought we oh uh, Fordham. He went to Fordham University. No, it's close to Syracuse, right? Yeah. Um, Quinn Buckner popping champagne. No more undefeateds in college basketball. Oh, did New Mexico go down? They went down at Fresno last night. So the final undefeated after Purdue lost earlier in the week. No more. January 4th. Isn't that kind of early? That is, man. That is. Usually it goes well. And I mean, lately it's been, think about Wichita State and certainly Gonzaga. I mean, Kentucky a couple years ago. I mean, usually it goes well into February or March, right? Well into it. Uh, We'll get you caught up on everything that happened in the world of sports and continue the conversation notably about I, I do think the Colts it's not probably not too early to start thinking about who the coach and the candidates might be we'll get into that later in the program as well Stephen Holder going to join us at eight o'clock about 10 minutes from now by the way uh the guy that you guys probably wish he'd taken the day off in October right oh, that's harsh <laughs> that is so harsh uh, now my- what is his first name uh, that'd be Dr. Benjamin Motman. Benjamin, okay. I'm just so used to Motman. <laughs> now he's coming on to talk Lions, right, in the big game That's Sunday right. night? Okay. That's right. He, primarily Lions, yep. Okay. Got it. <clears throat> we need to will them to victory. We don't want the Packers in there. Do Boy, we? Marcus. Oh, look at that. Okay. We'll lead with Lions, right? All about Please. this. But we've got some And what the hell's going on with his well. Pistons? Yeah, I was going to say, well, you know, I know Cade Cunningham's <laughs> out, but let's talk Jaden Ivey here.
<laughs> okay. We'll do all of that uh, coming up. It's Kevin and Query on a Wednesday, 93.5107.5 The Fan. Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. We don't have a ton of new updates in the DeMar Hamlin front. His uncle did meet with, uh, Dorian Glenn is uncle's name, he did meet with NFL Network yesterday, uh, mentioned that his nephew, um, in terms of being on the oxygen, has gone down from 100% to about 50% still sedated, but main focus is recovering to breathe on his own um, and healing those lungs. Here was his uncle, again, Dorian Glenn, uh, yesterday with NFL Network. What do you think the thing DeMar will say when he wakes up and sees how everything has interacted over the last 24 hours. Man, my nephew's so humble. He, he's going to truly be floored. Like, he's he's going to be floored. He's going to be in disbelief. But, I mean, he shows so much love, and he shows so much care and compassion. So it should reciprocate, you know, back to him because he's a genuine guy, positive guy. I mean, you know, he comes from a distressed neighborhood like we come from. You could choose to be a negative impact or you could be a positive impact. And my nephew is, like, a positive impact all the time from his toy drive to um, – um, his coaching clinics he comes back and do to his giveaways. I mean, he's always coming through and trying to be a positive impact for the kids. And that type of influence that you can have, I hope he creates 10 more DeMar Hamlins that can come out and be inspirational to the generations behind them. So I'm truly here. He's still here, able to fight. We're going to talk to Dr. Mottman coming up in just a couple of minutes. He might be able to clarify kind of what some of that stuff, like the oxygen levels, uh, what all of that means, but obviously continued good thoughts for DeMar Hamlin. Uh, college basketball last night. Ball State, 90-83 winners over Toledo. That's six straight now for Michael Lewis's guys. Jerron Coleman had 26. Ball State now 1-0. That was the first game in the MAC for them. It was Boston College, 70-63 to over Notre Dame. <laughs> Just had to... Yeah. <laughs> want to raise a little bit, Kevin? Yeah, fire Mike Bray. Hire, I, I told Mark last night, you can hire Dane Five, hire Tom Creek, hire Nate, Nate Bjorkren. Irish 0-4. The togetherness, the right, Mark? ACC. Readiness and togetherness. You didn't come over, Jake. Uh, what's that? Oh, you yeah. didn't come over. Well, I knew what was going to happen in the game. I didn't want to make things even worse for you. Uh, Indiana <laughs> at Iowa tomorrow night. Trace Jackson Davis has been dealing with a lower back injury, but uh, yesterday Mike Woodson kind of gave an update as to practice for Trace Jackson Davis and his possible availability against the Hawkeyes. Yesterday uh, was really the first time he's had some contact, and uh, I thought he looked pretty good. But I won't know the extent of it until I, you know, I get down there in the training room today and, and just see how he feels physically. But, you know, he's been doing some things on the floor, but not a lot of contact. And the day yesterday, we we had a lot of contact yesterday. And uh, today we'll have a lot of contact. We'll scrimmage today and and just kind of see where he is, you know, providing that, you know, he's feeling good about yesterday's practice. That's 9 o'clock tomorrow night from Iowa City. Purdue is at Ohio State tomorrow at 7. Tonight, you've got Hinkle, uh, Butler, 9 o'clock, hosting DePaul there. They're a seven and a half point favorite. And we'll get into the Pacers and Sixers, which is tonight out in the city of brotherly love. When we come back, a little bit more insight, perhaps, into what exactly inside an emergency room takes place in a situation like we had with Damar Hamlin and what may be going on now. Obviously, we don't know the specifics of that case, but uh, Dr. Benjamin Mottman, the fighting Mottman of the Detroit Lions fame. Mm-hmm. Kneecap. also Kneecaps, yep. <laughs> That's right. And also, my cardiologist uh, joins us next. It's Kevin and Query on a Wednesday. Ah, the Lions fight song, of course. No better way to bring in our next guest. 
That's the. You think how many cardiologists in the world do you think are brought in by an NFL fight song like about, that? Let alone the Detroit Lions. How many times has that song aired off of Thanksgiving Day? I'm just anywhere. picturing Dan Campbell in the post game locker room singing that on a table. Uh, um, he is the one and only. You've obviously heard about him a lot on this show, and in all seriousness, without him, we probably. I uh, don't have the show. He is Dr. Benjamin Mottman, and he joins us right now to, I think, inform us a little bit more on the situation with Tamar Hamlin and, honestly, probably some stuff that just us as common folk can know about um, this entire situation. Dr. Mottman, good morning. Good luck to your Lions this weekend, and thank you in all seriousness uh, for the time. Hey, good morning, guys. Good morning, Kevin and Jake. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate that theme music coming in. <laughs> Did you? Were you aware of a Lions fight song, by the way? Oh yeah, I'll play it every day. <laughs> Kidding me? That's his ringtone, right? <laughs> fires him up every yeah. morning, right? One hundred percent. Hey, Doctor Mottman, let, let's begin with this, and, and I want to be clear here. You know, obviously, when it comes to medicine, you know, we don't know. And so it would be unfair to ask you specifics about the situation with DeMar Hamlin because you're not working that particular patient, right? But to speak kind of generically about it, I think a lot of people in the last day or so have heard about, and I don't even know if I'm going to say it right. I know that'll stun you. Commodio Cordis, if I'm saying that correctly, but... While we don't know for certain that that's what happened with Hamlin, we do know that there is this freak occurrence that can happen with trauma to the chest that causes a cardiac arrest. Can you kind of explain, like I'm a third grader, exactly what happens in those situations? Absolutely. I think, you know, first off, you have to say thoughts are with the player, with his friends and family. This is clearly going to be the worst couple of days for all of them. There's a lot of stress around this, a lot of uncertainty. So definitely my thoughts go out to his family, uh, his friends, the medical staff taking care of him. Um, anything that's said about him right now is clearly speculative. It's uncertain exactly what happened. There's a, multiple things that could have contributed, and he will be evaluated for all these. He'll get a battery of tests while he's in the hospital. There's different underlying structural heart disease, electrical abnormalities, non-cardiac conditions that could contribute. He'll have to be evaluated for all of that. Is it is it safe to say that, and I, I hate to say this, but are there things, Dr. Mottman, that like through the NFL Combine, you know, they do obviously pretty extensive look over of all prospects and players, um, but are there things that cardiovascularly can occur to someone that that were not previously detectable. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So commotio cordis, the, the headline that's going on around right now, is something that happens in someone without a predisposing factor with a structurally normal heart. So when they do the NFL combine, when they get these baseline ECGs, this would not be detected. This would not be a red flag going forward. And so that basically is just... You know what exactly happens there? Just there's a there's a contact to the heart that suddenly like jolts the heart to stop. I mean, is that yeah, exactly. So commotio cordis, it's Latin for disruption of the heart, and I think the main reason it's being discussed, uh, which is appropriate, is that he had a clear impact right before his cardiac arrest. So it's a little bit different than the other times where you've seen a basketball player running back to half court or a soccer player sprinting down the field and then go down without any impact. Dr. Mottman, we're about 36 hours away from what transpired on the field on Monday night. What are these times like 
right now. You hear his uncle say yesterday the oxygen level has gone from 100% down to about 50% in terms of reliance on the ventilator. What exactly is going on right now? I think you mentioned these are some kind of critical times. Um, could you kind of take us inside of what, what you'd assume is going on? Yeah, so so briefly going back to commotio cordis. So basically it's bad luck and bad timing. It's a direct blow to the anterior chest. If you look at a textbook, it's typically a 13 or 15-year-old adolescent male that has not developed their chest wall so that direct impact can get through to the heart muscle and the way that the heart works is there's an electricity cycle the heart depolarizes and the muscle contracts and then it repolarizes and resets and there's a very brief window of vulnerable period where if there's an electrical jolt at that exact time 10 to 30 milliseconds in that vulnerable period the heart can go into ventricular fibrillation and cardiac output stops so that's more that that's a freak accident but it can happen in a structurally normal heart just horrible timing with a precise impact at the precise time what's probably going on now is that he's had this cardiac arrest he's been resuscitated and now this is the crucial 24 to 72 hours where you let the dust settle and see what else is going on with the body he's potentially being treated with targeted temperature treatment to protect his neurologic function And you rest the body, slow down the metabolism to the brain to preserve brain function. And then it's trying to see are there other complications coming up uh, throughout his hospital course. So it's a a time that requires a lot of patience, a lot of time for the dust to settle, but it's incredibly stressful for uh, friends and family. So would it be fair to say maybe the bigger concern right now is what's going on neurologically and less heart? Absolutely. If he's stable hemodynamically, if his blood pressure and heart rate are stable, then the whole focus goes on to what is his neurologic function long term, and that takes time to sort out. Dr. Benjamin Motman is our guest. He's a cardiological interventionist at Community Heart Vascular Hospital. Um, talking about like just freak timing and circumstance, I was the luckiest guy on the planet that he was working on October 20th of uh, 2020. Um, and didn't take a dinner break. That, that would have sucked. But um, Dr. Motman, when we look at, and you had mentioned like with younger people that, you know, could be susceptible to these kinds of things because the heart hasn't fully developed. I guess a two-part question. The first would be at what age has fully the heart developed and all of the protection around it? That usually happens for someone around what age of life? Yeah, so it's more so the chest wall developing, so the the, the bones in the muscular system. Uh, and they say that 13 to 15 year old male who's playing impact sports is the vulnerable person. Um, once that chest wall, once that musculoskeletal system has developed, and that protects the heart more. So by 18, so, so certainly, not necessarily right? heart function, but more so the chest wall. Right. Okay. So, so with that, uh, just with youth sports in general. Have you started to see more of, you know, we hear people talk about defibrillators and CPR. I I was curious, and I thought to myself, gosh, maybe everybody should be taught CPR. Where does somebody go to learn that kind of thing? Uh, You know, defibrillators, how long have those been around, and what exactly do those do in terms of being preventative in case this happens on your local soccer, baseball, football field? Yeah, no, it's a a great point because this is a freak accident. this is not something that someone's predisposed to, so it's good for everyone to have knowledge about CPR. And basically, if this happens, if this is what happened, and someone goes into ventricular fibrillation, their cardiac output is zero. So you have to maintain their cardiac output by adequate and 
early CPR to get perfusion back to the brain. And then so that treats the mechanical process going on, pumping the blood. You got to reset the electricity of the heart. And the only way to do that is with an AED or automated external defibrillator. I, I think everyone involved in child sports should have some knowledge of CPR. Um, looking at resources this morning, at, there's cpr.heart.org where you can type in your zip code and try to find some places that have classes for general population. A lot of the classes that came up were at YMCA's and fire stations. Uh, there's redcross.org with a training tab that you can go to. And then if that's too tough, even just YouTube is a phenomenal thing. You can YouTube CPR, get some basics on that. And Dr. Mottman, when this situation arises, the reality is that you know questions come from every angle, right? People start speculating about a, a million different things. I guess the the question that I would have for you is when you see, you know, or is it possible? I guess when you see ten different patients that come into the community heart vascular hospital under cardiac distress, is it possible that there are ten different causes in ten different cases? I mean, is is cardiology still kind of are there aspects of it where it's still the last frontier? Yeah, so a cardiac arrest, it, it typically, you go down your triage algorithm, what is gonna? What is the most dangerous thing that you have to immediately correct? Is it a heart rhythm issue? Is it a heart pump issue? Is it a blood flow to the heart from a heart attack issue? And there's certain things that you cannot delay, so you always recognize those first. You know, blood clots in the lungs, things like that, that emergency room physicians are trained for. You rule those out, and then you have the dust settle for a couple of days, and then you do additional testing down the road to try to recognize it. But there, there's multiple things that can cause cardiac arrest. Dr. Motman, last one for me, and appreciate the kind of, as a general public, what can we do when we're at an event that, you know, obviously does not have the medical staff on site like an NFL game does. Um, just from a heart check standpoint, uh, you know, I'm sitting here at 33 years old. I'm sitting sitting here thinking to myself, "Gosh, do I need to start doing this on a, on on a on a somewhat frequent basis?" You know, at, at what age and I guess what steps can people take to, um, you know, try and get ahead of things if at all possible from a heart check standpoint. So certainly, the best medicine is preventative medicine. So maintaining a healthy diet and a healthy lifestyle. The recommendation is 150 minutes of cardiovascular exercise per week. You can break it down however you want. 50 minutes, three days a week, 40 minutes, four days a week. Just get to that 150 minutes. Fast walking, um, elliptical, lightweight training, things like that. And then have a primary care doctor, someone that can check your cholesterol panel on occasion, make sure you don't have any predisposing risk factors for coronary disease. Uh, Mark, you had a question about the game this weekend, right? Your lines are going to beat the Packers, right? We don't want the Packers getting in the playoffs. The Lions will beat the Packers. Boy, that's that, bold. That is definitive. What I don't know is what Seattle versus uh, Rams, what will happen in that game. I was going to say, you might need to sing the Rams fight song earlier in the day, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. To make sure that your Lions are still playing for something? We need Matthew Stafford to come back and help us out. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like Baker Mayfield right here for Dr. Mobman. Yeah. Uh, all right, so again, number of places. I think that the two important things here doc if you will number one is probably it's never a bad idea for anybody to take cpr and just learn it because you never know i mean you could be at the mall where somebody needs cpr and there are a number of resources where you can find that information and then also 150 minutes of cardio a week you said right absolutely all right um all right well we appreciate it and as you know i i am always grateful for the fact that i text you 
well, about 150 minutes per week, actually, and you usually respond. So it's it's very much appreciated. I've been praying for you, Dr. Momin. <laughs> yeah, I forgot to tell you. I'm switching my cell phone next week. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you, guys. Much appreciated. Go Lions. <laughs> Dr. Benjamin Motman, cardiological interventionist at the Community Heart Vascular Hospital on the northeast side of Indianapolis. Uh, Redcross.org. I mean, like you said, you know, fire stations around town but i know that there's a lot of people out there that will look at that and say it's a little bit of a too much of a taxing process to do that so fire up youtube from a cpr standpoint and um see if you can have some understanding for if and when those events do arise and again you don't have the medical staff on site for that potentially you can help out and save a life uh the lions have to beat the packers and then what the the Seahawks have to lose, right? Correct, right. and that is a four twenty-five game Rams and Seahawks. Really weird flex that the NFL did that—that that they didn't have those games simultaneously. Yeah, but I mean, gosh, Titans Jags—are you going to put that on Sunday night? Well, that's at least like there's no, you know, you, there's no other aspect to it. It's either win or go home. Whereas the Lions could be eliminated by Sunday night if the but if the, the Packers Seahawks still have to win. win. And I think that's the appeal right? of, like, Lambeau, Sunday Night Football, Aaron Rodgers has got to win this football game to get into the playoffs. No can, thanks. Can you play that Lions fight song again? That's oh. kind of fun, isn't it? Was yeah. that Orlovsky that you just did? <laughs> yeah, kind of. The Detroit Lions fight song, I was at a Lions-Bears game in Ford Field, and a guy comes out and sings that song every time they score a touchdown, which isn't very often. I was going to say. we got to get Mottman to do does, that at some point. He doesn't know the lyrics yet, right? Right. <laughs> Hold on, it's, I'm picturing Dan Campbell at the first team meeting and training camp saying, we all need to memorize this fight you song. You know what? We mocked. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. It's before the Ford family owned the Lions. The now, do we want to know the um, the Colts draft scenarios for the week? Yes. I mean, I find that to be very pertinent right now. Uh, the Colts could draft anywhere from three to six, okay? Currently, they're slotted fifth. To get the number three pick, you would need a Colts loss to the Texans. And you would need wins by the Cardinals and Broncos. The Cardinals are playing the 49ers. The Broncos are playing the Chargers. So so you need... Say this again. So to get the third pick, you need a Colts loss to the Texans. And you would need the Cardinals to beat the 49ers. The Broncos to beat the Chargers. I don't think either of those teams are playing for like an absurd amount of of home field. So we'll see how the resting goes for the 49ers and or Chargers. To get the fourth pick... You need a Colts loss and one of those two teams to win. So either the Cardinals or the Broncos to win their game. Uh, The only way the Colts can fall to the sixth pick, which is not what Dr. Montman wants, unfortunately, uh, they need the Colts, um, if the Colts beat the Texans and the Rams lose to the Seahawks, the Colts would fall to the sixth pick. So with the win, you can only fall one spot. Any other result that they draft fifth? Do you think there's the possibility, Kevin? Do the Colts have any surplus of? By surplus, I mean do they have additional from past moves? Because I know Ballard, you know, loves draft picks. Do they have additional second or third round picks? No, 
They traded their third-round pick for Nick Cross last April. Uh, they do have a third-rounder this year. That's the Carson Wentz trade, uh, which right now, I want to say that pick is like about 10 spots behind where their own third-round pick would be. So they were going to draft you know, fifth overall in the third round. Uh, with Washington's record being better than Indianapolis, that pick moves back 10 spots. Say, so no additional second, no additional third, no additional fourth, just normal draft picks so if you're drafting, within those rounds. if you're drafting fifth, and you want to move up to Chicago's second spot, what would Chicago require to fall back three spots? Boy, I would say your second and your third. Or your or future first. Future first, yeah. yeah. Mark, and, you're the Bears guy. What would you want? From the Colts? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it's all draft picks at this point. So, yeah. I'd, Second and third in 2023, Mark? Or do you want the 2024 first rounder? I'd say you're swapping first round picks for sure. I mean, because... There's a whole breakdown of like how much value is each draft pick. So I would say I guess it depends on first round picks. It probably depends on what other people are offering you, right? Right. Like if the Raiders come in and they're offering you like their first round pick and Devontae Adams, I'm sorry. I'm taking the Raiders right there. And and that's the thing about the Bears where they are potentially in such a golden situation. If it if this draft is now looked at, Bryce Young and CJ Stroud are the class of the quarterbacks. And you have got to get to that level if you want one of the two elite guys. Houston takes one of them at one. The other one's sitting there at two. Chicago can just say, all right, call us. Mm-hmm. Call us until 8 o'clock on April 29th, yep. whenever the draft starts, and they're going to get a King's Ransom for that number two overall pick. And I, I, and I do think it's worth pointing out, we'll see how the Bears view Will Anderson from Alabama, uh, the defensive end who's been heralded for several years. Um, he seems to be kind of the the defender. I know some people... I've pointed to Jalen Carter from Georgia, who did not have a great semifinal game. Uh, but that's the beauty of the position Chicago is in currently. And for what it's worth, Chicago can still get the number one pick, right, Mark? Yep, yep. Pretty much, I think the Texans have to beat the Colts, and the Bears have to lose to the Vikings. And that's about it. Did you guys see the Vegas line on Colts-Texans? Spiro Ditas on the call, by the way, in case you missed <laughs> that. <laughs> I'm going to say... Actually, you know what? I did see this. The... The Colts were given the lower probability of win, but they're like a four-point favorite, right? Something like that. Any guesses, Mark? Yeah, I want to say the Colts are like, I'll say four and a half. Two and a half for the Colts. Whew. Two and a half point favorite over the Houston Texans. Well, he's going to get those guys to play, I'm telling you. To talk more about this, Stephen Holder going to join us next here. Kevin Aquarius. On a Wednesday, we are halfway through the week. Our next guest is probably... Not totally disappointed that the Colts are now like 90% the way through the year because it has been one for the books, no question. But he joins us each and every week, Stephen Holder from ESPN.com. And um, Stephen, we'll begin with this. I Heading into this game against Houston, you know, there are so many different ways to look at the way this game could unfold. And I don't mean the game itself. I don't think anybody's overly worried with what the result's going to be, except for, for the draft status, the draft position, right? But um, do you notice kind of a different tenor in the locker room of guys when some are playing to solidify themselves, some are tr- trying to put the pieces on a final contract? I mean, how, how does a team handle it differently than when everybody's playing for the same thing, which is like a, a playoff push, if you will? Yeah, I... I really think in recent weeks, 
and I don't know if this specifically answers your question, but I, I will tell you this. In recent weeks, I noticed kind of a difference uh, in this team, and, and that difference was I think the results started mattering a little less. You know what I mean? Like, you just didn't feel like there was anything at stake for them. It, it's not anything anybody said. It's not anything anyone did. It's just a, it's a vibe. It's a vibe that you get when you're in the locker room every day. I know what it feels like. I've been in locker rooms for 20 years, you know? So you, you know what it feels like when a team feels like they're, they have something at stake, and this has not felt that way for a very long time. I would argue, okay, I would argue that it hasn't felt that way since Frank Reich was fired which is why I will continue to argue that that had the opposite effect than was intended. <laughs> Frankly, it just didn't, it didn't really spur anything. It, 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 it sent a message that, wow, we suck. <laughs> so anyway, I, I don't know if that answers the question, but I, I just haven't felt like this team was playing for anything meaningful for a very long time. And I, I thought the effort was still okay until the last couple of weeks. I think the effort has waned, but but yeah, this, it just didn't feel like there was anything at stake for them, and you know, maybe maybe they knew that they just weren't good enough. I don't know, Stephen. I've been saying for probably about a month now. The season for me has kind of transpired from most disappointing in the Ursay ownership era, which is about twenty five years, to the most embarrassing. Um, yeah. And now it's these weekly embarrassments, particularly into throughout December, that we're seeing. And, and frankly, no unit defines that more than the offense. And the offense stinks, but it's coming like a little bit more into the forefront, Stephen, of like, this is a historically bad NFL offense. Not just like Colts franchise bad. If you look at recent NFL seasons, this is one of the worst offenses you will find. And now I sit here and think, is it more, is all of it personnel related? Like, again, I'm trying to like place pieces of the pie in where the blame is. And I come down to it and think outside of maybe running back, I don't look at any of the position groups and think they're even close to an average unit in the NFL. Yeah. You know, it's funny because there have been a lot of bad quarterbacks on a lot of teams. Right. And, and so, so I say that because they haven't gotten very good quarterback play, right? And, and that's been a constant throughout. But I think it's still really hard to pin it all on that, which is I'm, I'm kind of agreeing with you is what I'm saying because it's really easy and, and, and neat and kind of convenient, right, to just say, well, I mean, they need a quarterback upgrade. No, no, it'll be fine. But we said that before. <laughs> right? I mean, as I was tweeting this the other day, telling people, like, don't keep making the same mistake, man. Like, you got to learn from this as a fan, and hopefully the Colts do as a team, as a as a leadership of, of the leadership of that team. You have to learn from this. And I think the lesson right now is it's it's a lot of things. It isn't just the quarterback. It isn't just, oh, we fire the coach. Man, it, if it was that simple, okay, we wouldn't be seeing what we are seeing. I'm not saying they would be winning, but it's like you said. I mean, this is absolutely, this is humiliation on a weekly basis. A complete and utter humiliation. It is disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. It's the worst I've seen. You've been here a lot longer than me. This is my 10th season, but this this is a low point I never thought I'd see this franchise at. You know what I mean? Like, I just, 
they just don't do this. 2011 happened. I get that, but we understood what happened. Yeah, preseason expectations were different. Yeah, I, this is a low point. I I really had a hard time ever envisioning for the Colts as a franchise. I agree with you. Just just to make the point again, historically bad offense and not something you just fix by plugging in a quarterback at, at this point. As best you can, walk us through your expectations post game on Sunday. Um, final gun goes off around four o'clock. We know that Frank Reich's fired, so we know that over the next few weeks they'll have a head coaching search. Do you expect to hear from Jim Irsay post game? Um, technically, Chris Ballard's under contract, so it's not like you need to make any announcement on the general manager front if you're keeping him. If you're firing him, of course you have to. But if you're keeping him, you don't need to say anything publicly. Um, I guess do you expect to hear from Ursay? When do we expect to hear from Ballard? What, just what are your thoughts Sunday four o'clock, the rest of next week? That's it's hard to say. I really don't know. It's it's kind of a it's it's a little bit uncharted territory because normally when a coach is fired after the season, you know you get the whole Black Monday press conference. The owner comes out and he says, you know, thanks him, thanks the coach for for all of his efforts and talks about what they want in in the new coach and and where they're going as an organization you know you get all those tidy little uh explanations but this is different right we as you said we already know there's going to be a coaching search you have just saturday who I, I think for all intents and purposes i i absolutely expect to be part of the coaching search so we don't need to clarify that we already know that um, but I, 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 it's like you said, there is no necessarily a, um, a need or an expectation of Jim Mercy coming out and talking. I wish he would, because we have lots of questions, right? Like tons of questions. Uh, Chris Ballard, I would say this, you are required as an organization, the, uh, the, the, general manager or chief decision maker is required to talk at some point after the season. So I anticipate hearing from him. It may not be immediate. I was going to say, typically that's what, like late next week. I feel like he he usually waits a few days. Yeah. So, so that won't happen immediately. I think we also are, I think I believe just Saturday, he's the coach. I believe he's required to do a press conference the following day as well. So that's going to be an awkward dance there. So it's going to be a lot of awkward questions and awkward dances. And that's why I think the argument is very strong for the owner to come out and talk because a lot of these questions have to be asked of him. I think awkward questions is the perfect segue to allow me to speak because I have exactly one of those, Stephen. I know that's shocking that's, to you. That's like your wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah. The years change, and yet they all stay the same. Um, fo- follow me here on this reverse psychology. When when Jim Mersey named Jeff Saturday the interim coach, there was a ton of backlash. Uh, probably, I think, to the point of surprising Jim Mersey, truthfully. Yeah. And it has not gone well. I, I mean, it has not gone to the level that Jim Mercer was able to prove people wrong. Does that actually, in an odd way, increase the possibility that Jim Mercer doubles down and considers Jeff Saturday long-term? No, it's not reverse psychology. Actually, it's, it's kind of a legit question. Not that I want to <laughs> encourage you to ask, you know, reverse psychology questions. <laughs> but, no, there's no encouragement needed, Stephen. <laughs> true, 
Very true. Very true. Uh, look, I I will tell you this. I see a very headstrong individual right now when I look at Jim Mercy. And I see, I see a guy who has made moves that he felt conviction about. And the opinions of others have not mattered very much. Okay? I mean, and that goes back even to Carson Wentz. I'm not saying that no one wanted to move on from Carson Wentz. That's not true. But I, it was not necessarily like the, the slam dunk decision, right? I mean, it was a little complex, but it was never complex for Jim Mercy. It was like, this guy's got to go, period. And, and that's fine. I, I, don't, I didn't have any big issue with it at the time. I mean, I understood the, the, the issues there, right? I understood. But, but my point was, or my point is, uh, this has been how he has operated really now, you know, for almost a year. Um, he has been very, very uh, determined, you know, to do what he feels is, is correct in his estimation. And I think, you know, to your point, Jake, I, I don't know that he does it out of spite necessarily and says, oh, well, I'll show them. But he's just been very much um, willing and has had a track record in the past year of acting on his, um, I don't know if impulse is the right word, but his convictions. Let's put it that way. And, and that's where I think the, the possibility of just Saturday returning is actually very real. And he's Stephen Holder at ESPN.com with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Colts and Texans, mercifully, the season will come to a close Sunday at 1 o'clock. Um, Stephen, I guess I'll start here. Where has this team improved under Jeff Saturday? And with your answer, does that say more about Jeff Saturday and more about Chris Ballard? Hmm. I would say... I think the offensive line has gelled a little bit and that may be as much a product of, of having a, a consistent five member unit than necessarily Jeff Saturday working some kind of magic. Right. Uh, I don't, I don't know that he could, I, obviously that's his ex, that's his area of expertise. That's true, but he still has never coached offensive line. Right. I mean, that's, that's a hard thing to do on the fly and, and have a, a, and make a significant difference. I, I, I mean, he gets credit because he gets some credit because he's the head coach right now. But I, I hesitate to say this is all because of Jeff Saturday. I mean, I, I, I can't say that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have anything that, that indicates that. Uh, but I give them credit, right? I think they've played a little better. It hasn't been good enough. Okay, let's be clear. It has not been good enough. But it's been a little better. I've seen some progress there. Uh, but again, that is, I think, a result of continuity. Uh, Bernard Raymond has hung in there. He's he's got a long way to go, long way to go at left tackle. But he's hung in there, and I think just leaving him at one spot, I'll give Jeff Saturday for credit for that, for leaving guys where they are and and letting that unit mesh, and that has helped a little bit. I do think. Uh, beyond that, it, it just I haven't seen any real improvement anywhere. In fact, I feel like the defense of late has taken a step back. That is probably because of what we're seeing on offense. I think this defense is tired and I'm not saying they quit, but I mean, can you imagine the mental toll of going out there and take, you know, being DeForest Buckner or Zaire Franklin and the years that these guys have had and they have nothing to show for it. Absolutely nothing. In fact, 
as Zaire Franklin has pointed out, you know, you're a punchline, and and you've played the best football of your life in his case, and in, in some cases with other guys too, and and that's where you are in spite of that. So, you know, I think the defense ran out of gas, frankly, and I think I saw that on Sunday. Uh, they don't have anything left over there, um, and and they're they're ready to be done. <laughs> Can we just say what it is? They're ready to be done. So. Yeah, there hasn't been much improvement. I mean, I'm not piling on Jeff Saturday. I'm looking for it. I would love to be able to say I see improvement here, here, and here. But where? I don't see it. I just do not see it. Steven, at the end of the year, which this year obviously comes earlier than many expected, in the media, you know, you know. I mean, you go in and, and players, I always get a kick out of it because players clean out their locker usually with trash bags. I'm like, these guys are millionaires. They're using trash bags to Although, take everything home. Although, totally appropriate this year. Yeah, you, no, anyway. no question. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. Um, so here's my question for you, Stephen Holder. Let's just say hypothetically that you were a real estate agent in the city of Indianapolis and the Colts allowed you to come in and place your business card in four lockers. You get to pick four players. The rule is, though, it has to be a player who is under contract for next year, but you still get to place your business card in there because you got a suspicion they might be looking to move because they realize they're not going to be in Indianapolis next year. What four lockers are you placing your business card? This is this is a good question. Uh, I actually, I'm starting with DeForest Buckner. Not because he is a bad player, but because he's a very good player. And frankly, if you're him, I think there's there's an argument that you may want to be somewhere else. The other side of that coin is he has a lot of value. And and if you're going to reset things as an organization, I have no idea what what their intentions are with him. But if you if you have any inkling that you may want to hit the reset button, you need assets to do that and you can get a lot of assets with a player like DeForest Buckner. So he's still got a couple years left on that deal, I believe. So, you know, he would potentially be very appealing to another team. Uh, so you can get something for him. So, and, and by the way, I mean, you know, I want to sell his house, right? I mean, yeah, no, that'd be amazing. So, um, beyond him, uh, let's see. I, I, I think they're higher on Ryan Kelly than people think, but, but Ryan Kelly, at 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 his salary level and production, uh, I think he's I think his future is in question. Let's put it that way. Uh, I don't. I'm not going to say anything stronger than that because I can't. But but I think there's some questions there. Um, let's see. Beyond that, um, this is tough. Let's see. I gotta say, Shaq too complicated with the injury. Well. I, I and really the contract. think that he I really think that his future is a huge question mark. But but I don't think you can trade him right now. Right. So you can't get any value there just because who's gonna trade for him until you know a little more. Um so I do think that one's too complicated, but that is but believe me, that is one of the biggest storylines going forward. We haven't even talked about Shaq, right? But like he's one of the biggest storylines. What is he? Where is he? And and what's the outlook? We don't know the answer to any of those things. We need answers. We will, I believe, and I hope, hear from him next week. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Um, um, I guess I'm struggling on the last two, but... I mean, you're not um, going to go by the quarterback room and drop him? Well, well, yeah, but, but I mean, I, yeah, it's true. Matt Ryan, yeah, but I mean, he's under contract, but, like, come on, <laughs> right? Nick so, Foles? Yeah, I guess I am. I guess I am. And I won both of their houses, by the way. 
Yeah, you're right. Foles is under contract. I forgot about that. I totally forgot because, you know, I think in my mind, like a lot of people, you're thinking, okay, well, those guys aren't going to be here. They're already gone. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Which is yeah. But as a realtor, yeah, I want to sell those houses. Yes. <laughs> um, Stephen, Mark asked this question in the YouTube chat, and I think it's worth pointing out. He goes, "If Chris Bauer talks to the media next week, does that mean he's returning?" Um, I, I would say no for these reasons. If I'm not mistaken, didn't Ryan Grigson hold his season-ending press conference and then get fired like three weeks later? Right. So JMV and I were talking about this the other night. That was one of those situations where he got fired several weeks after the season. Yeah, it was like, like mid to late January. Yeah, like he probably thought he was fine. <laughs> okay. Because I remember having to hustle and buy a ticket to Mobile to go to the Senior Bowl because they had a general manager search all of a sudden. So, yeah, it was, it was certainly several weeks after the season. I think about three weeks. Uh, so, no, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean anything that Chris Ballard. Uh, speaks to the media. I, I think you have to take Jim Mercy at his word. I mean, he seems very convinced and and very headstrong, to use that word again, that Chris Ballard is his guy. I actually believe him. For better or worse, whether you agree or disagree, I actually believe him. I'm taking him at his word that, that Chris Ballard is his guy. Can he change his mind, though, if depending on who they hire as head coach and, and what the expectations of that person might be? I don't know where the whole... Jim Harbaugh thing stands and how real that is, but certainly, you know, I've heard his name rumored from people in the organization, just like a lot of people have. And would Jim Harbaugh have a different um, expectation for the power struggle, power structure, perhaps, perhaps, and that could affect things. But I do think, as we sit here today, yeah, I, I think he truly, he being Jim Mercy, truly intends for Chris Bauer to be his general manager. Okay, and on that note, last one for me then, and again, stephenholderespn.com with us. Um, so you believe that, again, predicting Jim Mersey just sounds like a crazy idea, but here we are doing it, uh, that Chris Ballard will be back, and what would you throw a percentage on Jeff Saturday? Coin flip? Or is that too high? Um, I, 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 I want to think it's lower than that, but but it's it's not zero, and it's probably not even like 10 or 20%. I mean, I think there's like a... 30% chance, and, and the only reason that's not more, okay, the only reason in my mind, and this is a very, very, like like you said, dangerous thing to do, right, trying to predict yeah. where Jim Mercy's at. I apologize so for doing it. This could be completely wrong, but I, I think it would be higher if, if they hadn't lost in such historic fashion. I just don't know how he sells uh, Jeff Saturday as the permanent hire. Maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he really doesn't care. I don't know. I don't know. But that is, to me, going to be his chief problem. How do you convince people? I mean, who are you going? Who are you getting to go buy a ticket after what they have seen the last seven weeks? I, I just don't know. And the other part of that equation is the optics around the league and the minority hiring issue. That is going to be unbelievably bad for them. I'm telling you now. So we'll see how that goes. Steven, yesterday I had pointed this out, and I think, and understandably so, uh, I respect people's kind of like shrug of the shoulders to me on this because maybe I wasn't clear on it. And, I, you know, we don't know this answer, but I wanted to run it past you because you do cover the league beyond just the Colts. Um, if, and I think it's safe to say at this point, that Cincinnati and Buffalo are not going to make up 
that game, right? Like Cincinnati and Buffalo, it would appear that way. Yeah, yeah. they're going to play a 16-game schedule, and everyone else will have played 17. I, I, I totally respect that. However, if, and I think this is still a possibility, if that means that in the AFC, the playoff seeding defers to winning percentage, and Cincinnati and Buffalo have identical records, and they face off against one another in the playoffs, would either team not have a legitimate argument in saying, wait a minute, we, we were denied the opportunity here to get home field over the other one because of a terrible circumstance, albeit. But how do we determine where that game is going to be played? Because there was a the ultimate tiebreaker was right there, and, and then that unfortunately, you know, understandably went away. How would they determine that? Yeah, I mean, I think they'd have to go to the tie-breaking procedures. They'll do that before the playoffs even start, right? I mean, that's how the seeding will – the seeding has to be determined before the playoffs start. So they'll go right, to the right. tie-breaking procedures, and they'll it'll be sorted out before the playoffs start. Now, to your question, would one or the other team have a legitimate gripe? Well, sure, they would. Uh, I don't think they would go to the mat on it, right? I just don't feel that way. I hope they would not. I just don't know how you resolve it. It, you know, had this happened, we, we had games canceled uh, the last couple of years with COVID. We've had some issues there, and they happened early enough in the season that they were able to to sort of make them up. Uh, but you know, week eighteen or week seventeen, uh, I, I just don't know what the options are. You know, it's I, honestly to have to make the game up is probably. Uh, a, a worse outcome for those teams, you know, to have to play that extra game at, at the last second like that. It might be a worse outcome to have to do that than have to deal with whatever, you know, the, the seedings, whatever dilemma the seedings create, you know, or disadvantage there. So I, I just don't know. I think that the problem is going to be the solution is just not a, is not something they may even prefer. So maybe they just let it, you know, let sleeping dogs lie on that one, I guess. Stephen Holder, ESPN.com, I would say, with the season ending, enjoy the off-season vacation, but Lord knows that's not coming. So um, there's going to be a lot of news in the month of January and potentially into February as well. Stephen, thanks, man. I'll see you later. See you, guys. Stephen Holder, right there on the Payless Liquors hotline. Thought that was a good question you brought up, Jake, on the, you know, who could be gone, business cards, all of that. Um, Again, the assumption, I think, is that Chris Ballard will be back, but if the embarrassment is too much and you move on from Ballard and or you change coaching staffs, Gus Bradley's gone, whatever, no one is safe in that locker room. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you could do, I mean, if a new GM and or new coaches come in here and they go to Ballard and they say, hey, uh, you're paying Shaquille Leonard $20 million? Uh, Dude, I'm good with day three draft picks at linebacker. Right. You know, you're paying Quentin Nelson that money. Totally. I'm good with day three draft picks totally. at guard. Um, you and we've brought this up several times this season. Chicago's a great example of it. They've brought in new regime and they've parted ways with some players that you would have classified as core bears in recent years. Um, so that is something to keep in mind. No one, no one. I mean, there are different levels of safe, but no one is safe if and when you do make moves. You know, um, Jeremy asked a good question. We talk in the NBA about, you know, my proverbial 2025 guy, a guy that's destined uh-huh. to score 20 a game for a 25 win team his whole career. And he said, Is it possible that Zaire Franklin is a dynamic tackle four win guy? 
and that if if Zaire Franklin is leading you in tackles, that you're not winning 12 games? I think that's a little harsh. I mean, I don't look at the Colts' defense and being a four-win unit this year. I look at the Colts' defense being yeah, I would. That's fair. Like it, like a nine-win unit. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm not certainly are not the reason for. Yeah, it. yeah. I, I think I'd fall more on the offensive side of the ball if you know if there was some offensive player having this extraordinary year, and you're like, well, you know, Matt Ryan's got to throw the football to somebody. Uh, by the way, the third, the emergency quarterback that would have gone in. If Sam Ellinger oh, I got asked you hurt. this the other day, and your guess was Jelani Woods. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to say that's a good guess. And and I think next up would have been. That's a good, I mean, I'll go with Alec Pierce. I think it would have been Campbell. I think Paris Campbell would have gotten a look. Really? But you'd think Alec Pierce, just based off his family's background, would be a pretty natural. I mean, there's got to be. You aren't know, you shocked that that hasn't happened? I mean, all we're talking about is. Two quarterbacks getting hurt in a game. I mean, I know it's happened, but it doesn't happen more frequently. I mean, I mean, hell, as tragic as it was, you saw on uh, Monday night the Bills had two defensive backs get hurt in the first quarter of that game. Two quarterbacks getting hurt? I just, Kevin, when you think about Little League baseball, typically the best athlete, the best player on your Little League team was the pitcher, right? And the same thing, you would have to imagine that 30% of guys in the NFL, that's probably high, but at 10%. 10% of guys in the NFL probably played quarterback position at least through high school, right? They were the best athlete right. in their grade. Oh, yeah, for sure. You yep. know? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. By the way, we got to touch on, speaking of 25 points on 21 teams, how about Donovan Mitchell the other night? Yeah. You know, for a reason we didn't. Did you see what the NBA did when he had 71? Bring that up. Is that a little tease for us? Uh-huh. It is indeed. Uh, let's do a morning check down before we get to that. The morning check down brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Mark, what was that little jazz hands thing that you just did? That was the random, in all quotes, that I did. The random. I've never seen that before. Random. It's very random of you. Hmm. Yeah. Never seen that. That was uh, quite the of, move. Is that a new thing State? you're incorporating in 2023? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel like it's going to play well on radio when like I do hand charades. It looked yeah. like you were playing charades. like you were saying in Jazz hands for Mark Dyke. Yeah. Uh, Ball State over Toledo last night, 90-83. to 83. How about Michael Lewis's club now 10-4? and 4. They are 1-0 in the MAC. They have a six-game win streak. Jerron Coleman had 26 last night. Demarius Jacobs added 25. Jalen Sellers with 15 and 10 boards for the Cards. Also in college basketball last night around the area, it was Boston College 70 63 over Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. Irish now 8 and 7. They are 0 and 4 in the ACC. Can't lose to Boston College. Well, you can and you did. Right, right. (laughs) Hell of a run for Mike Bray. Time to hang it up. Uh, DePaul at Butler tonight, 9 o'clock. Indiana State at Illinois State. That's an 8 o'clock tip. Uh, We'll talk more about the Pacers coming up here. They are in Philly tonight. I saw it was uh, bring your wife or like your significant other girlfriend parent on the road trip. Oh, really? Get a little sketchy, I feel like. What's that? Side chick. Wouldn't that be a little. (laughs) Who gets the invite? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally hear you out there. Yeah. I think Jake thought you were more in reference of, you know, could some teammates of yours that, look at some others on the plane and say, Ooh. That can get a little sketchy. I didn't know O'Shea says. had that. I've got know. some stories in that I didn't know Mrs. Go-Go looked like that. Yeah, just Zach Wilson's not on the roster. You're all right. Well, that's, okay. that, that's, that's a good, good. point on that front. Um, it is Joel Embiid and the 76ers awaiting Indiana tonight. I think I saw the line was seven and a half for Philly. Obviously, this matchup, Joel Embiid has feasted on the Pacers in his career. Um, so we'll touch more on that here coming up. 
Uh, Colts News, they'll get back to practice today. They took yesterday off, from, just from a media availability standpoint. Um, it's something I think you saw a lot of teams around the league do. Uh, but they will get back to practice today. Sunday, 1 o'clock, Colts and Texans. Colts favored by a couple of points in that one. Okay, Kev, you ready for this one? If the Ravens beat the Bengals on Sunday, then both teams will have the same number of wins. The Ravens will have one more loss due to playing one more game, and the Ravens will have beaten the Bengals twice. So who wins the division? Uh, yeah. It, there is, you know, the further away we get from the DeMar Hamlin situation, and again, obviously, is by no means is Correct. I mean, it, we know it, where the over, priority of right, is there. But the logistics with this is a bit complicated. And you will have some teams and organizations that will certainly be curious. Can you can you give both teams a tie? You would think that that would be the way to factor it in, right? Well, the problem with the with it was that the Bills had they won, they had the tiebreaker over the Chiefs for home field advantage throughout the playoffs because they beat the Chiefs earlier this season. So I think that's a big issue too. Is that right. you know? And if it goes by winning, only the first seed gets a home gets a first round buy. If it goes by win advantage. percentage, aren't you? If you're another team, like wait a minute, win percentage, we had one more opportunity to yeah. lose. Than okay, you. do we play Week 18 as it is? Play Bills and Bengals in a solo game after Week 18. Therefore, you've pushed the entire NFL playoffs back a week, and you eliminate the week between the Super Bowl. Zero chance that happens, right? Because of TV like time slots with the playoff games. You would keep the Super Bowl on the same date. You would eliminate the Pro Bowl week, which mm-hmm. is you know a skills competition. Okay. Um, I don't know though because then that wasn't the NFL wording yesterday then, that the Bills and waiting, Bengals. Kevin, you're waiting an extra week for teams to find out who they even play in the AFC. I mean, there's no easy answer. You know, the NFC. Then you know, I, yeah, I don't know, man. Because wasn't the wording yesterday in the NFL press release that the Bills and Bengals game will not be resumed this week? Right. I believe that was the. the yeah. Technical language language jargon. The there. other thing, and I, I get it. Listen, I had a million people say to me, and I know that Mark's doing his jazz hands here, but I, a million people said to me yesterday, no, like, I just yeah, saw well, one finger there with the jazz hands. Like, honestly, like somebody said to me yesterday, they're like, "Well, Jake, you work in racing, so you should know the race goes on." And I'm like, "Well, that's true, except for that I was there in Las Vegas on the broadcast when there was a fatality and the race was called." They did not continue the race. It was the end of the season, so it's a little bit different. But um, plus, I think there's the some case learning. Of Wilson, we had one race left, and they did run that race. But but all of that said, I get it. The show goes on, however you want to say it. But for those two teams, a week removed from it to put them back out there, do you think the players wanted? to? I mean, you know what I mean. It just it feels. I get it. You know, be be a tough guy, be a man. Uh, okay, I mean, sure, but uh, the first and foremost is going to be what happens with Hamlin. I hate to say that, but but Kevin, I don't know when it comes to putting Buffalo and Cincinnati potentially on a field out there together. I don't know that you can do that until you have absolute confirmation that he is going to survive in a healthy way. Buffalo, for what it's worth, just looking at the schedule coming up this week, Buffalo's got New England 1 o'clock at home on Sunday. Cincinnati would be hosting Baltimore. That game time was still to be determined. It was going to be 1 or 425 coming up on Sunday. So I guess that would solve. Cincinnati plays Baltimore, so that could solve your issue there um, with the Bengals and the Ravens. All right, we'll get in some Pacers chatter coming up here. Uh, Kevin Aquari on a Wednesday. Chris Widlick. 
our friend over at CBS4 points out that they had there is precedent of the NFL moving everything by week. They did it in the season after 9-11 where I think it was week two, was it, that they just slid towards the end? Correct, yep. Mm-hmm. And I get that. The The only difference being, as I pointed out to Chris, you know, that, that was with a three-month advance notice, right, as opposed to a week ahead of time. Well, this is the awkward nature, too, Jake, if you have one game, not the whole week's schedule. You, you have one game that's really up in the air right, right. now with Bills-Bengals, and then I think in the next 24, 48 hours, certainly in the next 48, maybe the next 24, a decision on Week 18 needs to come just from a logistical standpoint. I mean, the Chiefs are going to get on a plane, I guess, Friday to travel to Las Vegas. Tennessee is going to get on a plane to travel to Jacksonville because those two games are Saturday. You have two Saturday games this week. Um, so, You know, I don't know, and before we get into the Donovan Mitchell Cavs conversation, I, I don't know that there has, and I'm sure there have been, okay, but so speaking rhetorically here, but I don't know that there has been a franchise that has had more, quite frankly, to just overcome or navigate around in a season than this year's Buffalo Bills. I mean, this obviously... It, you know, is franchise and city. Correct. I mean, just travel issues, storms, you know, didn't they have one game where they had to, didn't they have a home game they had to play elsewhere? They played yeah, they Detroit played one game. In Detroit, or uh-huh. I, I mean, they've, the city itself has had a casualty of 30 some people with the winter storm that just hit there. And we well, had the I shooting mean, earlier, yeah. um, the mass shooting at the grocery store earlier in 2022 as well. I mean, Man, I was thinking about Naheem Hines. I was thinking about Naheem Hines the other day. Yeah, you know that's kind of your probably your most relevant Colts connection there to it all. Again, the latest on Demar Hamlin. We haven't really heard any sort of concrete update since yesterday afternoon. His uncle did mention on NFL Network. We'll play that audio here in a little bit. Um, that from a ventilator standpoint, the reliance on oxygen has gone from 100 percent down to 50 percent. Um, but again, some critical, critical moments and days right here for DeMar Hamlin from a neurological standpoint. Jake, we really didn't have a ton of opportunity yesterday to talk about Donovan Mitchell. 71 points. He was 22 of 34 from the field on Monday. 7 of 15 from the foul line. 20 of 20, or excuse me, 7 of 15 from 3. 20 of 25 from the foul line. I would say the thing that stands out to me the most about that. He had 71 points. He also had 11 assists. I thought the best tweet afterwards was Robin Lopez, who is the twin brother, of course, of Milwaukee's Brooke Lopez and probably the lesser player of the two. But uh, he did send a tweet. I'm just going to get this out of the way right now and point out that Donovan Mitchell and Robin Lopez combined for 72 points tonight. (laughs) Hashtag historic game. That's great. Um Donovan Mitchell then let it be known after his 71-point performance on Monday night against the Chicago Bulls that the next day, the very next day, the NBA did what they should do, probably. Sarcasm. They sent a reward to the Cleveland Cavaliers players with the highest point total since Kobe Bryant's 81-point performance back in 2006. 
The NBA said congratulations to Cleveland, congratulations to Donovan Mitchell, and here's a FedEx package for all of you requesting that the team be subject to one of their four random tests for performance-enhancing drugs over the course of the season. <laughs> and so Donovan Mitchell had yeah, to submit... Take your urine to Springfield, Donovan. You're going to put it up in the Basketball Hall of Fame. That's exactly right. So Donovan Mitchell... Sent out a tweet, by the way, that just said, and just like that, we're drug tested this morning. With so the when you emoji. combine points and then assists that went to points, Jake, 99 for Donovan Mitchell on Monday. Unless that is, some of those assists were to threes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had 99 total. Okay, Se- so 71 that- own points, and then 99 with the 11 assists, so a lot of threes if you look at that. Uh, second most in NBA history behind Wilt. Wilt had two assists. That'd be six threes, by the way. When he scored, look just a math aficionado yeah, we have in studio with us. I mean, you, you so know. impressive. You guys realize you're, you're dealing with Galileo over here, right? Uh, Kobe Bryant had two assists when he scored 81. There have been uh, 14 50-plus point performances so far this season. There were 19 total last year. And we're just into January. You know, the other thing, too, like... It seems to me, virtually every day now, I'm looking at the scores and teams are getting 150 points. Yeah. I mean, remember when we rattled off Luka's five-game mm-hmm. stretch? Oh, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And He's like, got three of them this year. I mean, the 50 think back to what Tyrese Halliburton did a few weeks ago. Ten threes, the most in Pacers franchise history, and uh, you know that's like 13th on the um, radar NBA-wise. Um, so yeah, eight most points scored in NBA history from Donovan Mitchell. You know, the thing I've always been impressed about Donovan Mitchell, Jake, is like it's not like he's the six seven just towering wing. You know, by height standards, I know he's got a long wingspan, but by height standards, he is kind of a small two guard. Um and yet he's been such a proficient scorer here uh in the NBA. You know, I, Mitchell to me is not your proverbial Mark Monteith made this comparison, and I think it's a darn good one. Benedict Matherin, because Benedict Matherin has like a lower body strength about him. Yeah. Mitchell's like a can, strong safety. Yeah. And it, so Benedict Matherin reminds me of like a Jimmy Butler, because he's kind of a post you down, creative on the low block when not. I mean, obviously he's a good outside shooter, but he can score in various ways in the mid range. And Donovan Mitchell, I don't know that there's another player like him, right? He, he just kind of, because he doesn't blow you away. But when he gets going offensively, he's a lightning in a bottle guy. He's they aren't the exact same body type, but a little bit of Dwayne Wade in them. That's fair, because for that same reason, right? Dwayne Wade's another one that you knew Mitchell probably better shooter. If the spark went off, you knew that with Dwayne Wade, you know here it go, here it comes. Did I ever tell you that my brother was at a wedding that the Lopez brothers were in? Really. I mean, you want to talk about two guys walking down the aisle that are going to turn some heads. Now, so who got... So my brother went on a mission trip with um, a group of people from Zionsville. Okay. And one of the women within the mission trip, she married a guy from Fresno who was very good friends growing up with the Lopez's. Really? How about now, that? They, is that their hometown, obviously? Yeah, Stanford. They're Stanford, Stanford guys, right? right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, you know that Sterling K. Brown? And Robin's got the hair, right? The wild hair? Correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sterling K. Brown is the guy that played um, yeah. on This Is Us. Mm-hmm. He played Randall. Right. Right at the peak of that show, which, by the way, is a fabulous show. Right at the peak of that show, he was the best man in a wedding in Indianapolis. Really? Hmm. Just I, I, 
he's from St. Louis originally. Do we know the story and, with that? Yeah, he's he's a St. Louis native, and I believe a high school, like a childhood friend of his, who's just a guy, right? Um, now lives in Indianapolis. Like his childhood good buddy lives in Indianapolis and got married, and so Sterling, you know. People from Carmel or whatever, like, you know, Nancy's marrying that fella from St. Louis. She's been dating for a couple of years, and they go to the wedding, and Sterling K. Brown's giving the toast. It's like, whoa, Randall's Boy. giving a toast. Boy, you want to talk about getting all ears to listen to that. I always feel like every time he talks on that show, I'm like sitting on the edge of my seat. Right. Totally. Which of those characters on that show is the most typecast? Which actor or actress? Mm, that's a great question. I feel like Justin Hartley, the guy that played Kevin. I, I, I'm always shocked that this is what Mandy Moore's career has turned into. I think of Mandy Moore as a singer. I, yeah. I remember, speaking of, of, to tie it back to sports, at the RCA Tennis Championships several years ago, Andy Roddick was playing in it. God, several years ago. It feels like a I mean, it was decade now. 20 years ago, yeah, something like that. And Andy Roddick at the time was dating Mandy Moore. And he was Dave first and I. Were he's had a nice characters. run off the off the court. Yeah, he has. Well, he's a nice looking guy, right? Woo! So, <laughs> thank you. And I have always said, by the way, there are few sports that are more captivating to watch sitting down low than high level tennis. It's it is something. Man. Mm-hmm. But at any rate, Dave first and I went down like on. We were working at Channel Six, and you know it was. The seven o'clock center court match. We're like, yeah, let's go watch Roddick. And we went down and watched it. And Roddick was playing a French player. I don't remember the guy's name, but he was not highly ranked. And um, this guy was completely in the zone. He was treeing, as we used to say about tennis when I was a kid. And he had Roddick down. Like, I think he won the first set and had him down halfway through the second. And the crowd was probably 50%. And Roddick scored a big point and was getting ready to, to serve to, you know, or, you know, whatever. And some guy in the stands yells out, Come on, A-Rod, which I'd never heard Andy Roddick refer to as A-Rod at that point. This other guy ain't sleeping with Mandy Moore. <laughs> and and Andy Roddick stops in the middle of the serve and looks up in the crowd and goes, come on, man. It's exactly what he said. Come on, man. <laughs> and then he just went That's on awesome. and served and absolutely blew the French guy off the court. That is awesome. <laughs> but yeah, I love fans. You know, Mandy Moore was actually, in This Is Us, I, she was... I thought she was outstanding in that show. Yeah, I mean... I, I mean, everybody in it was, but she was... Not to act like I know what I'm talking about in Hollywood, but it seems like some terrific acting. Yeah, it was great. Well written. Uh, my wife it. has got to be thrilled that we just talked about This Is Us for several minutes. It, did you watch to the end? Uh, I've stopped watching because I thought the show was just too depressing for Man, me. Man, I'll tell you what. It, it it ends, I think, triumphantly, but it is fabulous. You know? Uh, all right, when we come back, a uh, little Jim Harbaugh news. We'll give you that update where do the Colts kind of fit into all that we'll take some calls as well and preview tonight Pacers and Sixers big one for Miles Turner tonight we'll talk about that coming up in the nine o'clock hour good Wednesday morning to you Kevin and Query I know temperature is supposed to drop a little bit here later in the week temperature inside of Lucas Oil Stadium on Sunday probably not going to be very raucous Colts draft position Third, fourth, fifth, or sixth. Those are the four spots that the Colts will find themselves in come Sunday night. Currently in the fifth slot with a win. The furthest they would fall would be sixth to move up to three or four. They're going to need some help from the Cardinals or Broncos. Cardinals have the 49ers. Broncos have the Chargers, if I'm not mistaken. 
Both those games are 425, so I guess it'll be until Sunday evening to where the Colts know exactly where they're going to slot into the draft order. I know Dylan wanted to talk about the Colts draft pick. Dylan, good morning. John. John? Dylan? John Dylan, whatever. Yeah, that works. I know John Dylan. There you go. Colts draft, I think, uh, going back to Stephen Holder talking about trying to predict Jim Irsay and all that, I think what's going to happen here, and this might be a little bit of a stretch, but I want you to write it down. And remember, it's about three, four years from now. Okay, got it. Uh, So we got Arch Manning, Marvin Harrison Jr. Marvin Harrison Jr. has one more year, then he could come out. We got the sentiment of Jim Irsay being in his fields. We're going to take Harrison Jr. when that happens, okay. and then we're going to take Arch Manning, and you got Manning to Harrison 2.0, and in the meantime, okay. Colts fans better get used to it. I think we're just going to do retread, retread on the quarterback, and we're going to wait it out. So All let me right. ask you this. Okay, it, it, I'm writing this down here. So Marvin Harrison Jr., let me ask you, uh, John Dillon, uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., would you, would you assume that he is a good enough player that he is going to elevate your roster and your team? Uh, with the current set of wide receivers right now, I would say yes. Okay, it doesn't appear that we're the reason I the reason I say it is because Arch Manning is not eligible for another three years. So you're going to have to do three years of suck with who are the quarterbacks? I'm more fascinated about that. Who are going to be the retreads for the next three years? Well, apparently we take anything we can get for cheap. <laughs> that's true. But the point well, being, sound, that sounds like a desperate <gasps> statement in Vegas. Marvin Harrison night. Jr. is going to be year three before Arch Manning's even eligible in the draft, right? And do we, you know. I agree. I'm going on the sentiment. And you put Jeff Setter today as your coach. That's all sentimental. And, you know, how say feels about everybody. He gets so, he gets so in his feelings about these guys and you know right now he's got a laughing stock of a team what better way to make a bang and a comeback on the big media and get your monday night games and all that back when you got two guys that you know have ties to people that are you know legends on your team john dylan it's been written right here 856 appreciate the call on this wednesday morning jake there's no emotional what's edron james son's name Oh, Jizzle? Yeah, yeah Jizzle. Can we get him to... Well, isn't Frank Gore's kid running for 350 in the bowl game? That's right. So we can get both those guys, right? Yeah, Jizzle's playing basketball. I, well, I know, but I mean, so was, well, so was Morale taking, Cox. Are we going to tank for Eugene Hilton? <laughs> Boy, <laughs> watch it now. That's Sorry. quite the three-headed monster you got going. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. Are we up against it? Yes, we are. Do we need to take a break uh, now? Unbelievable. I was going to go through the Vinatieri kid, Eugene Sorry. Hilton. Sorry. Jake's projecting of the Colts <laughs> roster Listen. in three years is going to get us kicked off the air. <laughs> it was not intentional. I so you got Moyak Cox over here. Chisel <laughs> okay. James over here. If Marvin Harrison Jr. was eligible, would he be the number one pick? Yes. Possibly, yeah. Kevin's camera went down. That might be the most appropriate thing that just happened. Yeah, I know. I purposely did that. Yeah. Uh, 9 o'clock hour coming up. Jeez. By the way, happy 34th birthday. This is the year that you will turn 34. Is that correct? Kevin? Yes. Uh-huh. September 18th. Uh, happy 34th birthday to Graham Rahal. Really? Yep. He's got a big one tomorrow night. What's right? that? Big one for him tomorrow night? His Buckeyes? Uh, he is as devout the Buckeyes as you can get, yeah. 
I guess he's hurting a little bit from what happened Saturday, but Buckeyes and Boilers tomorrow night over in Columbus. Curious to see how Purdue responds. Yeah, that's going to be – and I'll tell you, Ohio State's decent, right? I mean, that's, oh, yeah, definitely. that's a big game for sure. Um, how do you think Indiana's going to do tomorrow at Iowa? You, did you see the story? We haven't touched on this um, about Fran McCaffrey's son. Yeah, so one of the two taking a leave of absence. Patrick McCaffrey, 12.5 points a game, third leading scorer for Iowa. He's taking a leave of absence from the program to deal with anxiety. Um, said that he needs to get his mental health in order. He has struggled in the last few games. Um, and so going to step away from basketball a little bit. And I, I certainly understand that. That's... You know, I commend him as a young person in that kind of a spotlight to be able to. to that's got to be tough, especially right? Especially your dad is the coach yeah. and Big Ten season starting. You know, you would think just from a natural, like, kind of fear of missing out sort of thing that um, that would be on your mind. I'm very curious to see how the Jalen Hood Shafino point guard experiment within the start, the restart, I guess, of the Big Ten season goes for however long it's going to go. We'll see about Xavier and Johnson. Looks like Tamar Bates is sliding into the starting lineup, right? Yeah, Trey Galloway to the bench. So Tamar Bates in the backcourt with Jalen Hood-Shafino. Again, Hood-Shafino scoring just fine, but in those games against Elon and Kennesaw State, that assist-to-turnover ratio, definitely not at your normal point guard level. Um, so 9 o'clock tomorrow night from Iowa City. 7 o'clock, the Boilers in Columbus. Butler in action tonight, 9 o'clock at Hinkle. With I've always DePaul. wondered this, Kevin, from a Big Ten standpoint, for Purdue and Indiana fans both, and maybe it's a different answer for, for the two respective programs, but of the traditional Big Ten schools, and I'll include, so in other words, I'm not including UCLA and USC, but we'll go with, I mean, we'll go ahead and include Maryland, Nebraska, Penn State. Well, yeah, you disregarded Terry Donahue uh, yesterday and right. trying to find my middle name. That's right. In bat, and in, in, I think this has different answers in football as well. But in basketball, if you are an Indiana or a Purdue fan, and your school just has a down year where you know things haven't gone their way, you're young, you're rebuilding, whatever. If your school cannot win the Big Ten, which of the other Big Ten schools do you find the most harmless? Where if they win it, you're like, that's eh, cool. I kind of like them. They're fine. Amongst those that are realistic. I mean, Northwestern would, I guess, be anybody's answer. But who do you think it would be? I, me, personally, growing up a huge Indiana fan, even though they had players that we talked about yesterday that were kind of easy to dislike, I really always kind of respected and liked Iowa. Part of that was, uh, do you remember, you guys probably don't recall because it it was, I mean, you would have been, this was in the early 90s. Iowa had a player, it was a pretty good player, named Chris Street. Yeah. That was killed in a car accident. And and when that happened, I wrote a letter to the Iowa basketball program just saying, hey, as an Indiana fan, you know, condolences. I mean, this was obviously pre-social media and internet and everything. And, and I know it was formatted what I got back, but they sent back a super nice letter and like a little package with like an Iowa basketball pen and a picture of Chris Street and a pennant. I thought it was cool. I thought it was a, a nice gesture, but I've just always liked, I've always thought that that's, that arena is pretty cool, tough place to play, and they usually play pretty hard. And they usually score. Yeah. So like that's more fun to watch than Wisconsin. Yeah. 
you know, from an entertainment value standpoint, I, I really have had nothing against the Izzo Michigan State teams. Did you see Izzo's kid last night? <laughs> oh, I, I I saw the headline, but never, cl- never clicked on it. So Izzo's son plays for Michigan State. It was like a free throw late. You can actually, I would, I would play the audio, except for that you can clearly hear him drop an ex, an exclamatory profanity when he, so he has, I believe he is zero for thirty one in his career at Michigan State on oh, the floor. Man, boy. So, gosh, that's like walk on nightmare. He, he got an open look three, and missed it, but he was Johnny on the spot, T.J. McConnell hustle guy, and where the ball came off of the rim and got the rebound and got fouled so he went to the free throw line now he's 0 for 31 from the floor in his career as a spartan so he goes to the free throw line and the crowd's like ready to just erupt because he's about to score his first point as a michigan state spartan don't tell me he missed both (laughs) why are you laughing so much adam jake he's at the line he looks like ollie from hoosiers except for that instead of an underhand, underhand instead of an underhand he went with the like, he. You know what it looked like? It looked like the free throw that Luka Doncic shot when he intentionally had to miss. <laughs> and as soon as he let go of it, <laughs> the crowd is silent, like trying to like. And, and as soon as he let go of the ball, you hear him yell out, "Ah!" And he, it, you know, four letter word. And I mean, he missed it. He not only hit it two feet to the left of the rim off the backboard, but I think it almost broke the backboard. It looked like he was like trying to. It looked like he was playing dodgeball. So did he make the second? He. It was a one of one. Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, that looks like me when I was like a little kid shooting at the Fisher Price hoop. That's what that shot he's was like, like. Trying to put. Well, I just was trying to hit the is zone. I was trying to hit the student section behind the hoop there. I mean, it was. Let me. T- <laughs> it literally looked like. Can you imagine how nervous these walk-ons are when they get in? And his dad's the coach, so it literally looked like they were like, uh, "We're gonna pick a." F- fans it's time for the lucky larry's lotto free throw contest if you're sitting in section 118 you've got a chance to score a point in this game and they brought this dude out and i mean i'm telling you it was brutal the word the funniest part is like the fans that have the hands up like for every free throw and like the most depressing like drop your hands sit back down he missed it i mean it wasn't even over 30 like i say this every time i go to a pacer game when we're sitting there, I've asked Holder, whoever I go with, I always say, okay, if they put you out there right now in this game and you got to play the entire game, would you score a point? A point. Whether you're cherry picking a, a layup at the end of the game or you just simply get fouled and you go to the free throw line, could you score a point? But why are they guarding you to the point where they need to foul you? I think he 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 got like the rebound and he he was dribbling around and he kind of. Like, I mean, I mean, I mean more I, to your NBA story. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. To your NBA no. hypothetical. You know, I, mean, I, I don't think Doc Rivers is in the huddle tonight to, saying, "Hey, Tyrese Maxey, that Query guy, we really yeah. need to get. We need to got to force him <laughs> left." To, well, I mean, listen, I mean, back in the day, but uh, you'd have to, I guess, take a charge and be in the bonus. Maybe that would be the only thing I could. Does think. that count as a free throw though? I'm always confused on the charge. Don't they just make you oh, take, it, just a, you're take right. it out of bounds? You're right. It would just be a... Yeah. Okay, then you'd have to have somebody get a... 
a blocking foul against you, maybe? There's a tweet here from someone who obviously covers Michigan State. Final, Michigan State 74, Nebraska 56. Spartans win their 10th in a row versus Nebraska. Looked like it could be the night for Steven Izzo, but he finishes 0 for 2. <laughs> how, how big is he? Does it? I mean, it's almost like the Carlisle Tristan Thompson audio, Mark. That's fun while it lasted. Steven Izzo... Five foot eight, 150 pounds. Gosh. <laughs> Good Lord. Unbelievable. I told you, he looks like Ollie, except for that instead of underhanding the free throw, he decided to go Nolan Ryan with it. <laughs> His uh, 2022-23 season stats, 0.0 points, 0.4 rebounds, 0.0 assists, field goal percentage, 0.0. Okay, he, let, let's look at his high school bio. A two-year letter winner at Lansing Catholic High School. You gotta love first the off, letter winner. First comment. off, his dad, his dad's the head coach at Michigan State, and he lettered two years. Played in twenty-four games as a senior, averaging one point five points in just oh, under five minutes per game. So he's terrible. <laughs> Appeared in nine nine games as a junior. His personal bio. Oh, his middle name is Mateen. His dad named him after the best point. Son, no pressure, but I'm naming you after the best point guard I ever had. The son of <laughs> oh Tom goodness. and Lupe Izzo has an older sister, Raquel. List Mateen Cleaves as his sports hero. No kidding. Career goal is to be a general manager in the NBA. Favorite pro team is the Baltimore Ravens. Well, that's not even in the NBA. Favorite athlete... Jared Rosberg. Nickname is Steve-O. Oh, great. So he also snorts avocado. His first trophy was writing... What? His first trophy was writing for a poem about the world's greatest dad. Mateen Cleaves is like, hey, man, can you have someone else as your hero? <laughs> Seriously. Speaking of TJ McConnell, Pacers and TJ McConnell back in Philadelphia tonight. It's a 7 o'clock tip. Our coverage will begin at 6.30. You know, as we were saying earlier in the show... My issue with this matchup with Miles Turner is Joel Embiid has really been his daddy. Um, you look at the numbers that Embiid has put up in this matchup, and it's better than he's done against any Eastern Conference team in his career. And again, Embiid is an incredible player, a great talent, but if Miles Turner wants to be known as one of the best defenders, not just rim protectors, one of the best defenders in the NBA, you can't let Embiid get 30 and 15 every time he plays against you. He's their adopted. And that is what he has done throughout his career. So tonight, Turner and Bede matchup. We didn't see it earlier in the year because Miles was out with that ankle injury. Just don't let him get 30 and 15 on you. If you want to be one of the best defenders in the league, you neutralize Embiid to some degree. You know, Philly has gotten really good play from a couple of surprise young players outside of Embiid, right? Um well, Tyrese Maxey's been hurt pretty much all year, but he's yeah, but, back. But then they've got uh, Melton. Shake? No, that's um, that's Milton, isn't it? D'Anthony Melton? Correct. He's played well for them. He came over, I think, in the offseason. They had a trade there. Uh, they are hell. I mean, Harden's healthy. Tobias Harris is healthy. They've won 10 of 12. Harden, I'm not overly sold on, to be honest with you. But. No, but he just somehow, every time I'm like, dude, he is... One slice of pizza away from being out of the league, he seems to get it done. I mean, DeAnthony Melton has given them good minutes. He's shooting fifty percent uh, against the Pacers in his career, but I mean, he's he's a pretty good floor player. Um, How about Georges Niang being big for them off the bench? That dude looks like the my brother has th- my brother in law has a Hickory Georges Niang jersey. Really? Wow, Georges Niang! How great is that? If if 
I'm going to sound like an NBA draft night guy here. If you look at Georges Niang's lower body, he looks like the second he's done playing, he's going to weigh 240 pounds in a week. I'm like That's he so just true. he has the most non NBA body ever. It's so true. But am I am, is that a fair statement for Embiid and Turner tonight? He's been Turner's daddy in these matchups. And if Miles totally, wants totally. to be known as an all-NBA first-team defender, Miles is great off the ball. He's great on help side. He's great with rim protection. But the one-on-one matchups, they don't go well. By the way, true or false, Joel Embiid is the highest-paid 76er this season. Boy, this could be like a sneaky Tobias Harris answer. I'm going to say no. Uh, I'm going to say no based off you asking it. Okay, true or false, James Harden is the highest paid Philadelphia 76er this season. I might go false and stick with my Tobias Harris. True or false, Tobias Harris is the highest paid Philadelphia 76er this season. True. Correct. Nice. $37,633,000 for Tobias Harris. $37,633,000 for Tobias Harris. He's NBA contract. 16 points, six boards a game. 30. I mean, are you kidding me? Take if you can get it. You're right. The first matchup between these two teams, you had Isaiah Jackson and Goga combined for 39 minutes. I have a feeling that will not happen. Well, Isaiah Jackson, I don't think he's even in the city playing for the Mad Ants here for a couple of nights. And I guess it'll be Jalen Smith. Are we ever going to see Daniel Tice? You know. Daniel Tice has allegedly a knee issue. I shouldn't say allegedly, but I don't know. He played in that Euro basketball tournament. I don't know that they know what. I I think that there are some discussions within the Pacers that Tice went from a guy that maybe they were going to flip to whether it's Tice or not, I don't know, but I think they like what he brings. Or I think they feel like they need what he brings. I think the Pacers feel like the one missing piece for them right now is kind of a bruiser, an enforcer, a Rick Mahorn type, a Dale Davis type, and Tice can be a Steven Adams type, and Tice mm-hmm. can be that guy. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, that's – doesn't Daniel Tice – I know he comes from the Celtics, and maybe that's why this is planted in my mind, but doesn't he just kind of feel like a guy that like <clears> – <throat> He looks like he came right out of the House of Pain jump around video. Like he should be wearing a throwback Larry Bird jersey and, and running around drinking a Smittix. Right? Yeah, I mean, he that's does a have great song, so I'd be all for that. You like that song? That's a great song. I feel like he's always just rocking some hooded sweatshirt on the bench. And totally. Yeah. I get that he's you know a bit on the older side, and it just never seems like when that trade was made he was going to factor in for the Pacers, but right now it they could probably use another big if they're not going to play Jackson and go. It's very premature to say this about Isaiah Jackson, but I hope it doesn't fall into the trap, Jake, of... And let me make this clear. I don't think Goga has earned necessarily the right to commit to him for like two and a half months with consistent minutes. But I'm a little nervous that that could happen with Isaiah Jackson. Like, you've got to commit to him at some point. Correct. I mean, this goes for... Quarterbacks who draft in the NFL. This goes for young draft picks in the NBA. Isaiah Jackson was a freshman at Kentucky that really didn't play a ton. So 
the only way I think you're ever going to truly know what you have in him is you expose him to minutes. I always struggle with foul trouble at times when he's gotten in there. But I just think that's something to keep in mind. He is so forward. talented, and I have been enamored by Isaiah Jackson, but you got to be more than a pogo stick. Pogo sticks are great if you want to go straight up, but if you need to get from side to side, they ain't very good. And he's got to be more than a pogo stick. Yeah. Develop some skill around that. Smirking work. Again, the foul trouble's been an issue. No, there's some NFL news that's that's tickling my fancy. Gosh. I would uh, say tell us more, but I'm nervous. No, no, no. It's nothing nothing bad. Uh, <laughs> the Commanders, after being eliminated from the playoffs, are turning back to Taylor Heineke as their starting quarterback for Sunday's season finale against the Cowboys. Looks like rookie Sam Howell will be the backup. So Carson Wentz starts a game. They get eliminated from the postseason. Now he will be the third-string third quarterback for the Commanders on Sunday. Is that his last Boy. gig as a starter? You would think. You would hope, arguably. I, he's How got about talent, that? One though, game he? and they go back to me. Does he? I mean, like, I think I think there's just scar tissue. I think there's major scar tissue from how things ended in Philly, and you'll never tap into the MVP type talent he had. I mean, at at this point, 2017 was five years ago. For an NFL quarterback, that is decades. I mean. <clears throat> I thought they'd start Sam Howell. There, Aren't there they eliminated from the playoffs, Mark? Yeah, they got yeah, eliminated would... because they lost that game because yeah, Ron they went Rivera back did... to Wentz, and then after the post game, they said, well, are you concerned who the quarterback will be if you're eliminated at 4 o'clock? And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, the Packers win, you're gone. Right. And they lost, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, th- th- surely there is a franchise out there that will still give Wentz another shot, right? Give him a start. Give him a chance to start. Starting though, I don't know about that. I mean, I'm trying to think of who it would be, but hindsight is, of course, 2020 in all of this. But I found it odd. I've actually said this to Frank Reich that the red flags in Philly weren't more on the Colts' mind when they made that trade, and the red flags were this. They gave Carson Wentz some $100 million deal. Uh, I think I've got the years. I, I want to say it was like the 2019 offseason. They come back and they draft Jalen Hurts that next April. Doesn't that tell you everything that Correct. you need to know? Mm-hmm. Of, oh my gosh, this is before Carson Wentz led the league well, in interceptions what do, what do we say, Kevin? in 2020. You, when you're, if you're looking for a new car and you get on cars.com, and there's my wife used to work there. There's a Mercedes or a Lexus or an, an, an Infinity with fifty five thousand miles on it, and it's twenty thousand dollars less than what it should be. I, aren't you always like, wait a minute, right? And again, this is an organization that Frank Wright came from and would have an immense amount of respect for. And when they make that move for Hertz, and that was again before Carson okay. Wentz had that twenty twenty season where he led the league in interceptions. And got benched with four games to go in the year and still led the league in interception. Carson Wentz next season. You ready? New Orleans. Carolina. For that matter, I'll just say the NFC South. Atlanta, Carolina, New Orleans, Tampa. Yeah. I, I, is Carolina going to Darnold? Did I feel he, like did, Carolina could take another quarterback. Did he do year. enough? I mean, 
if if Lamar is Lamar Jackson a free agent? He is, right? He is, unless he signs a contract. I, I can't. So if he I thought they could throw one more tag If Lamar on Jackson was to go somewhere else, you know, Baltimore's in the market suddenly, right? Is New England going to get back into the quarterback market? I, but again, do you get? You can't give him a starting job. Yeah, he's not going to win. He's not going to be given. You cannot one. Jets outright. The New York Jets. Boy, he'll be eaten alive in New York. I think they'll give Wilson one more chance. I think Carson Wentz's biggest issue is he's emotionally too soft. Yeah, I, I just think there's mental scar tissue. That, that there's just scar tissue from what happened in Philly. And while there's oozing talent, and you watch him on a practice field, and you love what you see. You get in a game, and I mean, we had Kurt Warner on what this time last year, and how much did he bring up the eye issue with Wentz of not knowing where to look, not knowing where to go with it? To me, that's that's all scar. Is Carson Wentz the smartest guy in the room? Does he suffer from that? There could be an element of that. I mean, do you think Carson Wentz? I don't. Not to turn this into another Carson Wentz show, we did a year of them, but do you think his teammates respected him, Kevin? I think some did and some didn't. I think the offensive line was very close to them. Him and Ryan Kelly, extremely close. Receivers? Uh, when the ball was on target. <laughs> uh, Jim Harbaugh team odds. 23% Denver, 21% Carolina, 20% Michigan, 14% Colts. I'm telling you. From Vegas. That's going to come down to who offers him the most money. Carolina and Denver with very young ownership within the league um, in terms of experience. Be curious how that potentially impacts things for Harbaugh. All right, pop quiz coming up in about five minutes. Again, Ball State tickets fresh off their victory last night in Toledo. They've won six straight. Michael Lewis's bunch playing great basketball. Ten and four on the year. That is Friday night from Worthen Arena. So no matter what, a pair of tickets going your way. 317 239 1070. Um, let's lead off the pop, or excuse me, the morning checkdown. The morning checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. DeMar Hamlin, the latest on that front. Uh, his uncle yesterday spoke with NFL Network, mentioned that from a reliance on the ventilator standpoint, um, it's dropped from 100% down to 50%. So certainly an encouraging sign there, but you know, still some very critical moments um, for Hamlin right now and the rest this week. Uh, here was DeMar Hamlin's uncle, Dorian Glenn, yesterday with NFL Network. What do you think the thing DeMar will say when he wakes up and sees how everything has interacted over the last 24 hours? Man, my nephew's so humble. He, he's going to truly be floored. Like, he's, he's going to be floored. He's going to be in disbelief. But, I mean, he shows so much love, and he shows so much care and compassion. So it should reciprocate, you know, back to him because he's a genuine guy, positive guy. I mean, you know, he comes from a distressed neighborhood like we come from. You could choose to be a negative impact or you could be a positive impact. And my nephew is like a positive impact all the time from his toy drive to um, his coaching clinics he comes back and do to his giveaways. I mean, he's always coming through and trying to be a positive impact for the kids. And that type of influence that you can have, I hope he creates 10 more more Hamlins that can come out and be inspirational to the generations behind them. So truly here, he's still here, able to fight. 
And actually, we just have more information on DeMar Hamlin. This is from Coley Harvey. For those that have watched ESPN's coverage um, of the DeMar Hamlin situation, Coley Harvey has been live just outside of the UC Medical Center with updates, and he just chatted with Jordan Rooney, who is, I think, a marketing, I think, a marketing agent for DeMar Hamlin, has been providing some updates on social media. And Coley Harvey shares this. Per Jordan and DeMar's family, doctors overnight got promising readings that they had been hoping to see by this morning. Jordan couldn't go into specifics, but progress appears to me be made. DeMar is still sedated and in critical condition in the ICU. When we talked to Dr. Motman earlier, who is the cardiological interventionist at Community Heart and Vascular Hospital, he was saying, Kevin, that the, the protocol typically with a patient in that situation is that you <clears throat> intubate them to put them on oxygen and then do, um, basically, as he said, you, you do a, a temperature control of the body to basically alleviate the work effort of all of the organs while awaiting and trying to assess neurological readings. So not to immediately draw that conclusion, but that could be optimism in terms of what they wanted to see of brain activity for him. I know they're not maybe giant steps, but they seem to be some steps in a positive direction here on the DeMar Hamlin front. So we'll continue to keep you posted, not only throughout our show, but the Midday Show and John as well. Uh, college basketball last night. Ball State, now 10-4 and overall. Michael Lewis's gang, they win 90-83 over Toledo. That is a six-game win streak for the Cards. Jerron Coleman had 26, Demarius Jacobs 25 for Ball State. Boston College in state scores 70-63 yesterday over Notre Dame. Can Irish- we count South Bend as Michigan so we don't have to give like the updates? <laughs> Irish 8-7, and 0-4 in uh, the Atlantic Coast Conference. Schedule for tonight, it is Valpo hosting Northern Iowa. Indiana State at Illinois State. That's an 8 o'clock tip. Indiana State coming in with a two-game win streak. The Trees are 11-4. and four. They're 4-0 four and oh in the Moval. Evansville and Missouri State at 8 o'clock. And DePaul at Hinkle to take on Butler. That is a 9 o'clock tip. Could be two in a row for Thad Mata's bunch. Uh, tonight in Philly, it's Pacers and 76ers. I mentioned it earlier, about a seven-point spread in that matchup. 21 and 17 on the year. Indiana currently six in the Eastern Conference. Philly at fifth. So for those that you know are thinking playoffs or want to see this team in the postseason, that is something to keep an eye on, uh, just from a standings standpoint. And the Colts still get back to practice today, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, in very fitting fashion to close out the year. Colts Texans. That means you get Spiro Ditas and Jay Feely on the call. A two and a half point favorite. Let's go. In that one, uh, Mark Dykton has also brought up the broadcast window. You said it's like a six-mile radius outside of Indianapolis and Houston. Has to be for that. I mean, come on, who else is watching that game at one o'clock on the last Sunday of the regular season? How great that be! Like, yeah, we're gonna move that to ten a.m. <laughs> it's a London game. Nah, yeah, exactly. Ten Eastern for that one. All right, pop quiz is coming up next. 317-239-1070. Again, a pair of Ball State tickets to Friday night's matchup from Worthen Arena. Have you studied? Can you handle the pressure? Sharpen your pencils. It's time for the Pop Quiz with Kevin and Query. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985. All right, uh, Pop Quiz. Scotty not in attendance. He's got a meeting today, apparently. 
So he's not up here for the pop quiz to officiate. That mean that may mean tons of hints for me, right? Well, that meant tons of hints yesterday too. Yeah, I think that means Mark is the official. Well, it has to be. Mark, you're the third party. Okay. If we give Jake those honors, it'll be a five for five. By the way, here is multiple a hints for everyone. Here is a sneaky Jake query hint. Question number two: the answer was biblical. <laughs> that it was one of my, if not actually, my favorite players of my childhood, and I think one of the most forgotten and underrated players of his era. Interesting. That wasn't a big as softball as I thought it was. No, well, I probably gave more of a one than you did. That's right. Uh, all right, let's pick a number, Jake. One through ten. Actually, if you look at the guy for number two, the answer. All right, all right. If, all right. You, uh, if no, you, you turn off his mic, if you take his last name and you combine it with the area of the court he played, you'd have a musician, right? What? I, that, I do not follow I don't that. Get that if, you take his, if you take his last name, yeah. you combine it with the area of the court with where he played, you would get a musician. That's all. People will be able to figure that out. I. I'm lost on that one. Number one through eight. Uh, six. Who we got, Mark? Teve. Teve? Yeah. T-E-V-E. Teve, what's up? Are you there? Teve? Hello. Uh, hello, Keith. Hey, <laughs> Teve, is it T-E-V-E? I don't know where they got up with that. No, it's K-E-I-T-H. Keith, oh, Keith, <laughs> boy, man, Mark, 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 Mark swung going in and out. I was, Look I was clarying that. multiple times. Hey, like, uh, Steve, Teeth? I was going to say we were going to have a field day with that one. That, uh, that is an automatic win. First leg, <laughs> uh, hey, thank you right. guys for the uh, for the NFL updates. We appreciate you guys doing that. I take that as good news, but I appreciate you guys keeping us updated. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think you bet, Keith. In all honesty, I think at this point, and I don't mean this to be. And say, I, I hope this doesn't come off the wrong way. A- any news that is not bad news is good news. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? There you go. Yeah. There you go. Absolutely. Um, Keith, how old a fellow are you? 52. 52. Hate to, yeah, hate to say that. Well, that's, mm-hmm. I'm with you, brother. I'm 50. So when you mm-hmm. were a kid, Keith, who was the first sports poster you had on your wall? <sighs> Man, you know, I really didn't have the thing. I didn't have posters when I was a kid on my wall. I know, right? Uh, you so played. I'll tell you this. So the first, so one player I did think a lot about was uh, Fisk that played for the uh, Chicago White Sox. Yeah, Carl, yeah Pudge. Time, Carlton. Yep. The yeah. first time I ever went to a baseball game, and matter of fact, the only time I have ever been to a professional baseball game, I ended up catching a foul ball. I was twelve years old and about that? ran really? up, ran up about twelve rows up, and everybody was in a pile fighting for it. I kneeled down, and there it was sitting against the wall. I grabbed it, took off back to my seat, and Rob Ruins of the California Angels autographed it for me. Do you still have the ball? That's a dream, Keith. I I got a big ink stain on it from somewhere somehow, and I moved like a gazillion times between now and that point, and I have no clue where the ball is, unfortunately. <laughs> so, Keith, where, when you played Little League Baseball, you played Little League Baseball where? Uh, up in Cass County. Cass County. So, did yep. you go to Lewis Cass High School? No, I went to Locust Sport. Okay. My children went to Lewis Cass. Yeah, the, the berries, right? Okay. The berry bowl, okay. right? That's right. Yeah. 
Yeah. Felix the cat, baby. All right. Can you guys are good. Would you like for me, that would be Jake, or would you like for Kevin to lead you off with questions? By the way, Keith, do you want to go to a Reds game sometime? Just maybe get a PBR and go to the Reds game? That would be good, actually. My son has never been to a professional anything, so my youngest son. So that would be, yeah, that'd be awesome. Well, some might say the Reds don't qualify as a professional baseball team. What about a Pacer game, Keith? Are you you a Pacers fan, Keith? You know, or I have to be honest, I I was a bit diehard. I'm staying up until 2 o'clock in the morning to watch the Pacers play, get up at work at 6, right? One of those guys. I have not watched them over the past like four or five years, but I am really, really intrigued. This and your year. your son is how old? Thirteen, my youngest. So here's what we're gonna do, Keith. Uh, Mark, I'm gonna have Mark put you on hold when we're done here, and I want you and your son to come with me to a Pacer game. We'll do that instead of a Reds game. How's that? Wow, that'd be awesome. Yes, okay. Right. But hey, so yeah. So you have me a little bit scared with that with that question that you were throwing at us here just a second ago. So be more scared sitting next to yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> Keith, I'll give you my number. If you need anything, you can, you can call me. All right. <laughs> okay, all right, here we go. Would you like for me, that would be Jake or for Kevin to lead you off with question. Number one, Keith, I'm going to go with Kevin after that scary question at the beginning. All right. <laughs> number one, Keith Pacers take a four game winning streak to Philly tonight as they face the Sixers. When was the last time the Pacers won five games in a row? They did it earlier this year, the pandemic season, 2019-2020, or 2018-19? I'm going to say 2020 pandemic season. Not too long ago, to be honest with you, Keith. Uh, yeah, 21 was the year. <laughs> not, definitely, I mean, not long ago at all. Oh, 22. Man, I'm mm-hmm. so proud they did that. All right. I, I, I know. I'm throwing a blank on that. Question number two, Keith. Here we go. You ready? Giannis scored 55 points and grabbed 10 boards in the Bucks win over the Wizards last night. He is just the third player since the merger to have a three-game streak of at least 40 points and 10 boards. One to have done it is Russell Westbrook. The other is a basketball Hall of Famer who also played in the ABA. And if you combine his last name with the area of the floor that he played, you would get a current musician. Is it George McGinnis, Julius Irving, Dan Issel, or Moses Malone? Oh, I want to say Julius Irving, but I'm really thinking, uh, I want to say Julius Irving. He was the second player to be drafted directly out of high school into the ABA when he signed with the Houston Rockets. Give me the list again, please. George McGinnis, Julius Irving, Dan Issel, or Moses Malone? McGinnis. Okay. Do you guys understand? Oh, I, the I really, really <laughs> thought Post Malone would be relevant in, 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 in Keith's mind there. Uh, the sixth-ranked Texas Long. It was. It was. So, you know, I, I really, really debating hard about Post Malone, but I, I can't think of the arena parts what's throwing me off on that. So. Yeah, shocking that Jake has confused you with one of his hints there. Uh, the sixth-ranked Texas Longhorns beaten at home 116-103 last night. The 116 points is the most by an unranked team and a road win against a top team since the poll began in 1948. Who knocked off the Longhorns last night in Austin? Kansas State, Texas Tech, West Virginia, or Oklahoma State? West Virginia. Okay, question number four. New Mexico lost last night at Fresno State, which means the 76 Indiana Hoosiers remain the last undefeated team 
in NCAA men's basketball history. Last season, the final two unbeatens fell on January 11th. One was top-ranked Baylor. The other was this soon-to-be Big Ten school, Gonzaga, USC, UCLA, or Arizona? UCLA. Okay. Keith, to round it out. <laughs> since I feel like Keith says answers and then is very like second-guessing of himself. Uh, since yeah, I use yeah. undefeated season, two teams have reached the national championship game unbeaten before losing in the final. Can you name one of the two teams? I lost you for a second. Repeat the question, please. Yeah, two teams have reached the national championship game unbeaten before losing in the final since IU did it in 76. Can you name okay. one of the two? Both have local ties. Purdue. No, they never got to it. Purdue, never mind. Purdue fans wish. That. Yeah, no kidding. So do Notre uh, Dame fans. All those Notre Dame basketball fans out there. I want to say Butler, but I don't know what the record was you under... About, uh, you were about nine years old. You were about nine years old when a team that probably a lot of people around Lewis Cass were talking about got to the Final Four in Salt Lake City. Man, oh man! And they lost. They lost to a guy who uh, also went on to a great NBA career. And the player that he was playing against, that was talked a lot about in this state, they became rivals through that their entire NBA career. Man, was it Kentucky? They their their nickname actually is something that you plant on Arbor Day. They you know, dropped out of college for a reason, right? Their, their best, like well, so did so did their best player actually, uh, <laughs> and then he and then he ended up back in school. Um, and you what know, time does the show end? His, uh, we have a guest calling in. His by last the way, name's a canary, a cardinal. Really, Ball State? Oh Lord. All right, Pacers' four-game winning streak. Uh, They go to Philly tonight. The last time the Pacers won five in a row, it was indeed earlier this season. Uh, See, Correcto. Uh, Moses Malone, who plays in the post, Post Malone, by the way, pretty good musician, was a question for number two. It was Kansas State for number three. Keith, stay on the line. I want Mark to get your number. Uh, Kansas State for number three, Southern Cal for question number four, and number five, it was Gonzaga, who lost to Baylor in 2021, and Indiana State, who lost to Michigan State in 1979. Jake, to round out the show today, um, big Colts fan, Tall Short, reached out to me yesterday, and Tall and I have gone back and forth on Instagram, actually, about the Colts over the past few years. And when he reached out, I'm thinking to myself, man, that name sounds so familiar. And I said to you, watching the DeMar Hamlin situation on Monday night, one of the first things I thought of was John Stewart. And for those unfamiliar with the John Stewart story, um, the big man at Lawrence North High School who tragically collapsed in a regional game uh, in Columbus in 1999 and died. Um, Tall was the point guard on that Lawrence North team. And he said, if you want, happy to call in and kind of share some of my thoughts on what we felt in those moments, they did continue the game that night against Bloomington South, um, and I think it's certainly relevant with um, the Buffalo Bills and everything that happened to Mar Hamlin related. Anything John Stewart-wise, Jake, and that story that that I might have missed for our audience that might not be too too familiar with that. Yeah, I remember um, you know John Stewart being at Lawrence North. I was at Channel Six at the time and was working the night of that tragedy. Um, 
The thing that I would say about John Stewart, kind of the, aside from the obvious tragedy of a young person losing his life, Kevin was, and I'll be interested in Tall's recollection of this, but like he, he was really coming into his own right around then. You know, he was he was a little bit overweight and wasn't the, the, the most fleet of foot. And you could kind of see towards the end of his senior year where everything came together. And it was like, man, this guy's going to be a great player. Um, Tubby Smith had signed him at Kentucky and honored him at senior night and really made him part of the Kentucky family posthumously, which I thought was a nice touch. So, again, we'll chat with Tall coming up next here to round things out. Kevin Aquary, 93.5107.5, The Fan. Jake, I shared with you on Tuesday's show, or I guess yesterday, that you know I saw the Demar Hamlin thing unfold. Uh, one of my first kind of vivid sports slash life memories was uh, John Stewart. And for those unfamiliar with John, big man at Lawrence North High School, 1999, uh, going to Kentucky, collapses in the regional game in Columbus. And, and sadly uh, passes away. And, you know, you watch the Bills players and the Bengals players react to everything on Monday night, and I'm thinking, boy, can you imagine, like, the Lawrence North players or, you know, the Bloomington South players and, and, and how that might have been. And very ironically enough, uh, Tall Short, who was the point guard on that LN team, uh, him and I, I guess, kind of know each other, have gone back and forth over the last couple of years, mainly talking Colts. Um, and he reached out to me and, and said that he'd be happy to join us and just kind of give some perspective and, and un- probably bring up some memories that at times he wishes he could forget about what transpired back in 1999. And Tall joins us now. Um, and, and Tall, thank you for, for doing this. I greatly appreciate it. Um, I guess let's just go back to now, 23 years ago, and, and what you remember about everything that transpired um, in that third quarter down there in Columbus. Yeah, thanks. Uh, you know, Kevin, Jake, love your show. Thank you guys for what you do. Um, just so you guys know, I'm, I live in Foxborough, so I, and I work in Boston, so I have a, a nice long commute, about an hour every day, so I, I get to spend it with you guys. You make it a little bit less painful. Um, so just appreciate that. Um, but yeah, when, when this whole situation happened Monday night, obviously I, I had that feeling again of, you know, remembering some, some really tough memories, but, um, you know, I, I just thought about those players and everything and you know, everything they're, they're witnessing on the field. And cause I, I remember it like it was yesterday, right? Like we were, you know, we got pulled into, you know, we first did the whole pray around, you know, mid court and then they pulled us into the locker room and, um, you know, they asked us, do we want to play? And I think I was the, the captain point guard. So I went first. I said I, I wasn't ready. Um, you know, teammates all wanted to win for John um, because at that point they had told us he had heart, he had a heartbeat. Um, and so we were thinking, all right, let's win it for John. You know, let's do it. And he can join us next week, you know, when we beat up on Jake's North Central Panthers. But obviously when we went out, I walked out of the locker room and I, I saw them pumping on his chest and, to me, I mean, I was an 18-year-old kid. I, I, something just didn't add up. If he had a heart rate, why are they pumping on his chest? And so I just remember that whole, like, something's not right. And I really had that same feeling Monday night. When I saw the players' faces, is really when I, you know, we've seen players get paralyzed and, you know, possibly paralyzed. And there's a different look than what I saw. When I saw Josh Allen's face, there was just, there was just something there that reminded me of that night of just total shock and, you know, that, that fear that, like, what's going to happen and, um, you know, I, I think I feel for those players that now have to play again, and I, I just don't know how they're going to do it. I, I'll be honest. I, it took me, it shook me for a long time. I, I had to move on to baseball season 
And, you know, we were on a, I was on a pretty good baseball team, too. We went to three finals. And it took me a lot about half the season before I really wanted to compete again. There was just this, you know, fear of something was going to happen. Or um, So I feel for these players. And, um, yeah, it was just a, obviously a tough situation. We, we, we still bring it up so we can honor John. Uh, but I know even the Blooming South players, they, they were struggling. And, you know, we became close with them afterwards. And, um, you know, so a tough situation. But I just feel for, you know, those players obviously playing for DeMar and, health but you know just the aftershocks are you know the aftershocks are going to be real for these players so you guys did continue that game correct yes we did that night in in hindsight in hindsight now some 20 years later hindsight's 2020 i guess but do you look back and wish that you guys had handled it differently and should there have been adults that took that decision out of the hands of 18 year olds no, I, I mean, I think it was on us players. That, I, you know, I know we're young, but it, I don't know if we would have played the game, right? Like, I think it probably would have been canceled. I don't know how, because it was the state tournament, right? So how that would happen, um, you know, because obviously at that point, we didn't know he had passed away, right? So we thought he was just in the hospital and he was going to join us. So with the facts that we were given and, and the facts we were going off of, I think we made the right call, even though I was against kind of what I believed, but it was, you know, the team's decision, and, you know, we wanted to win it for John at that point. Again, he's tall, short. Um, the point guard and the captain on the Lawrence North basketball team back in 1999 when John Stewart tragically passed on the court um, in, in Columbus in the regional game against Bloomington South. Um, tall, do you have any memories about finishing that game, like your emotions and playing the rest of that third quarter? I think it was the third quarter and, and the rest yeah. of the game. Yeah, so it was actually, yeah, it was the third quarter. Um, I think it was about two 2.32 left in the third. You know, John was having an incredible game. I know, Jake, you were talking about it. He was really coming on. He had, I think, 23 and 13, and just, you know, they were single coverage in him. So, you know, as a, a game, we were playing really well. Blooming South was one. We were number two. So, you know, 8,000 people in the gym. So it was just, you know, iconic high school basketball. And I just remember, you know, dribbling up. I feel like I was still, like, crying. I remember there was, like, tears. Um, you know, and I got John Holmes guarding me, you know, North Carolina product, son of the coach, you know, all, you know, Indiana all state guy. So, you know, I'm trying to focus on the game, but I, I remember we actually went into overtime. I, I eventually fouled out um, and just felt terrible. And, you know, it was a close game. We lost, but you know, it, it was a blur, the game. I remember a lot of the stuff afterwards, like going to the hospital and, you know, coach Kiefer telling us that John had died on the plastic. Like, I remember all that pretty vividly, but honestly, I couldn't remember. I, I do remember you know, the first play out of kind of the situation, Chris Hill, you know, our starting shooting guard who went to Michigan State hit a, you know, an unbelievable three-pointer to kind of get us back on track, but we just, you know, couldn't overcome, obviously, losing John and everything. But, yeah, it was, it was pretty much a blur. Tall, we've got just about a minute and a half left here, but I wanted to give you this opportunity. Um, how often now do you, do you think of John Stewart and do you relive not, that night? And was it difficult – to transition from thinking of it in terms of that nightmare and being able to see the totality of your experience as teammates? Yeah, no, it's a good question, Jake. Yeah, it's been a, you know, obviously a long process, um, you know, dealing with something with that tragic, you know, I had to speak at his funeral. I had never even been to a funeral up there, you know, talking after Tubby Smith. Um, it, it, it's, it's a lot, but, you know, looking back, you know, if we would have just everything happened and we would have won the state title, which we, we think we would have, um, you know, we just would have been another team, you know, and, and now, you know, all of us, you know, we still talk, a lot of us, and, you know, we're still connected after all these years, and, you know, and John brought us all together, and, 
you know, trying to change our outlook on life. He, he definitely changed mine. You know, uh, he he was such a fun-loving guy, and you know, I'm it's unfortunate that more people didn't get to know him, but uh, he was just an incredible guy, an incredible team. I would say, you know, we, that that team was it was something I will never forget, and you know, we, we still you know talk and communicate and. And it's all because of John. I mean, I have a tattoo on my arm with, with John's name on it. So obviously every day I, I can't not think about him um, and that team really. Tall, thank you. Um, I can only imagine the emotions you felt Monday night and, and probably here in the last you know, 24, 48 hours or so. So really appreciate you sharing some of that with us. And uh, thank you for listening as well. Uh, good luck out in Boston and Foxborough this time of year. All right. Thanks, guys. God bless. That's Tall Short right there on the Payless Liquor Hotline getting the point guard with John Stewart. Uh, everybody have a great Wednesday. We'll talk to you tomorrow here. Kevin Aquari, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan.